Using gerrymandering, voter suppression, and other nefarious tactics, the Republican Party has manipulated our electoral system to maintain as much control as possible despite being a party in the minority. Liberal Dan Radio seeks to change that, and I need your help in doing so. Liberal Dan Radio has partnered with Levelfield to help us use tools that are typically only available to big money donors. When you go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and make your contribution, it will encourage other voters to reach out to their legislators to pass legislation to stop gerrymandering and voter suppression and target elected officials who refuse to protect the vote. Every eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and that ballot should have the same power as everyone else. I can't do this alone. I need your help. So please go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and make your contribution today. That's stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. Stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. Political advertising paid for by Levelfield. Contributions are not tax deductible as charitable contributions. Conversation is area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. If you're listening live, you could also join us in the blogtalkradio.com chat room. Just sign in with your free blogtalkradio.com account. Uh, Go to the episode page and look at the bottom, and the chat room is there. And if you want to join us in the YouTube chat room as well, go to youtube.com slash liberaldanradio, and you can leave your questions, comments, et cetera, there as well. Um, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today, but first, this week's headlines in national news, President Biden is set to sign the $1 trillion infrastructure bill on Monday. In related news, some Republicans who supported the bill are supposedly getting death threats for not sticking with their party, yet nobody wants to talk about the issue of violence within the GOP. In Louisiana news, former Sheriff Jack Strain was convicted on eight counts of child molestation after testimony proved to the jury that he was in fact guilty of the crimes he was accused of. Strain will serve life in prison. Now, if only they could nab the priests. Uh, in COVID news, Matthew McConaughey has, has joined Karen Rogers in wanted to, to their own science in fighting vaccine mandates. While Rogers has spoke to Joe Rogan, no news on if McConaughey has. Maybe he hasn't gotten COVID yet. Maybe he's all right, all right, all right. And finally, Paul Rudd has been deemed people's sexiest man alive for 2021. Uh, I will defer to my wife, who probably agrees with that assessment. And that was this week's headlines. Now, later on the show, we will be talking about um, Kyle Rittenhouse, Ahmaud Arbery, and those uh, cases. Um, lots of stuff happened today that I was frankly shocked about that have, what, of what happened in today's trial for, of Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, but first, we have the uh, Honorable J.P. Morell, who is running for the uh, Division II seat for Council Large here in the city of New Orleans. So, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Um, why don't you give the listeners a little introduction and tell us about, uh, you know, tell us a little about yourself. 
Oh, uh, thanks, Dan. I'm really excited to be on the podcast radio show combination that you have going on here. Uh, my name is J.P. Morrell. I'm a former state senator. I was in the state senate for about 13 years. Uh, I'm now a candidate for New Orleans City Council at large. In the Senate, I kind of tackled a lot of the issues that I know you talk about on your show. We talked about uh, doing criminal justice reform. Uh, we, I authored the legislation that repealed non-unanimous juries, which obviously is a huge stain in Louisiana that has its, has its roots back in the 1890s, right after the Reconstruction government was chased out of Louisiana. And it was an effort by a lot of really old racist people to make sure that black people could not stop the white majority for locking them up in jail, even if three people in the jury at that time thought they were innocent. It's something that carried forward for about 138 years until in 2018, I was able to pass the constitutional amendment that allowed us to strip that out of the constitution. And subsequently the Supreme court, after we passed that constitutional amendment also pretty much said that no state because Oregon was still doing it, could do it going forward. Uh, I did a couple of other things that I thought were important. I, ended the ability for prosecutors to automatically charge 17-year-olds as adults and lock them up in adult prisons, which was something that had been done for a very, very long time. And as the chair of the Revenue and Fiscal Affairs Committee, when we were fixing the budget that had been devastated by Jindal's kind of tax and spend, more spend mm-hmm. than tax, when he was mm-hmm. governor, we were able to expand the earned income tax credit and give something back to poor families that were being taxed into oblivion. But I'm running for city council largely because it should not be so hard to live in the city we love. And New Orleans is a really hard city to live in right now. And I mean that at the bottom of my heart. I mean, it's just it, for a city that's Absolutely. so incredibly progressive, it, we fail on so many basic levels. I'll give you an example. That we have Did a trash problem where uh, oh, there you. this. Oh, can you hear me, Dan? Yeah, I can hear you now. I think I do just have briefly okay. lost you, but so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you're from New Orleans, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, we had a, after Hurricane Ida, basically trash pickup ceased to happen, and everyone in the city level kind of pointed the finger at each other at the same time, like they done it. But for those of us who are progressives. We remember that in May of 2020, the sanitation workers went on strike, and they've been on strike for about 18 months before the trash apocalypse happened. How can we be in the most progressive city in the state of Louisiana, have all of our sanitation workers go on strike, and the city just not do a damn thing about it at all, not step in the middle of it, not see why they were on strike, not address the issues with PPE or having uniforms or having gloves? basically the city kind of stuck its head in the sand and 18 months later, the wheels came off that car. It just, it, it, it boggles my mind that in this blue Island in the sea of red, we see the council constantly ducking from progressive issues. And as a legislator, I was aggressively progressive and I was successful even in a majority Republican legislature on delivery on issues because you would be surprised when you're able to break down a position, a progressive position down to its building blocks and explain to people, even like a minded, that there's a mutual benefit in addressing it. More times than not, you can be successful. But it's all in the messaging. It's all in building the relationships with people to make them understand that you're, you know, keeping it 100. And that's kind of oh, what yeah, I've like, done my whole career. Well, like, yeah, like the Affordable Care Act, you know, or Medicare for All, you pull people individually 
about these about the issues and the, and the components of it, it it polls very high. But you you then put the label on it, and they're like, oh, okay, I can't support that. <laughs> well, I mean, so you got, you got to get a lot of times you got to get sure. down to the brass tacks. You got to be able to say, hey, <clears throat> this is what we're actually trying to do, and then get it done. That, that that's 100% correct. Honestly, with non-unanimous juries, there had been a couple of stutter steps trying to do a bill to repeal it, and they failed every single time. And when the when I brought the bill to author the constitutional amendment. Dan, I found right. out that Antonin Scalia actually hated that Louisiana had non-unanimous juries. And the huh. moment that you're able to go to a Republican and say, hey, Antonin Scalia thought this was dumb, you would be surprised how quickly they go, wait a second, he thought it was stupid too? Let me go read his decision. It's, it's one of those things where it's like it's all about kind of working. You know that old adage, work smarter, not harder? Sometimes right. it's about just finding where the commonalities are and getting people to all come together on the commonalities versus kind of just yelling talking points at them and hoping that one day they understand you, if that makes and sense. And I tried to do that on this podcast, too. Yeah, that's definitely right. So I have you know, conservative listeners who will listen to the show, and, and they, will, you know, they will say that they appreciate the fact that I am not the one who's not always going to bash them over the head, that I want to find commonalities with them. I want to find a common ground. And I've actually used the Scalia tactic as well in other debates, like in discussions of like gun control laws, I'll be like, well, you know, in Heller, you know, Heller, you know, the Heller decision, Scalia did say that you can have some regulation on, on, on guns. It's not universal or automatic. Like he actually put in the, in the ruling that some of the, some regulation on guns are okay and constitutional. And usually if, if you can cite Scalia on something that usually shuts them up, <laughs> at least, at least, or at least That's, makes them listen. You're, you're... <laughs> You are you are a million percent correct. Usually, if you can if you can use him as your uh, as your litmus test, he usually is you know on board for it. Right, and then you know you, you mentioned Bobby Jindal and, and his his you know spend and not tax. You know, I always it always bothered me that his rise to prominence was the fact that he claimed he was like, well, I turned a, a two hundred million dollar deficit into a surplus at running Medicaid. I'm like, okay, so not only did you eliminate the deficit, but you actually ran a surplus in a program that was meant to provide people with health care. Like, why are you running a surplus? Why is that a good thing? Like, I never, I never understood that. Um, <laughs> well, but, I mean, uh, 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 you know what's funny? So, but people don't understand. So, Josh Hawley, which everyone knows Josh Hawley, he's the senator from Missouri, if I'm correct, Missouri. Right. His... I want people that are your listeners to watch Josh Hawley's talking points. The guy behind Josh Hawley right now is Timmy Teeple, who is the guy that created Bobby Jindal. Oh, oh I, know if you Timmy, listen I know to their Timmy talking Teeple points, well. <laughs> yeah, if you listen to his talking points and the culture wars and all that stuff, it is very, very similar. And what it was about when we were up there in the legislature fighting with him was that he was more concerned – with the appearance of doing stuff than doing it. And a lot of it policy for Louisiana before John Bill Edwards came in was governed by Grover Norquest with the tax foundation. Right. And basically if he deemed that something was a tax, we could not do it. Now, if he also deemed that tax credits for stuff like horizontal well drilling or other conservative things that allow corporations to make money, that these were anti-tax things, everyone was for it. 
and we ran into a couple of really bizarre roadblocks. I remember that at one point the governor reached out to everyone's agenda, and he said, hey, I want to be like Texas and have no income tax. And so he really impressed upon the legislature one session, we want to go be like Texas. And we did our research, and we came back to him and said, well, governor, we can we can get rid of the income tax if we completely get rid of the homestead exemption and raise property tax. And he said, well, I don't want to do that either. And everyone kind of looked at him and said, well, then the government will implode. Right. And he, for a while, was okay with the government imploding as long as he had the talking point to run for president. Right. But that's well, the reason thing why was always we turned a $2 billion – right. well, I mean, it's the reason why we turned a $2 billion surplus after Katrina into a billion-dollar deficit because he spent as if the economy actually grown when in reality, post-Katrina, the, the economy kind of contracted. It's going to be interesting to watch the legislature right now, and we're totally going away from state, from city politics. We can go back yeah, later, but it'll be interesting to see what – there's a surplus predicted for next year in the state of Louisiana, and it's going to be completely related to Ida. I mean, it's, it's Ida money. It's like Katrina money. It's fake money that only exists for a little small period of time, but it'll be interesting to see if the legislature decides to spend it if it's, if it's reoccurring money and create a new Bobby Jindal deficit. But no, mm-hmm. so let me get back to the council situation. Absolutely. As I was saying, Dan, and, and you and you you're on point on this. It's just we can't have a city that's this progressive and be afraid to have the fights. And we just don't have the fights in the city. I mean, when you talk about the issues that are facing us, like the fact that we can't grow a black middle class that women in disadvantaged businesses that are minority-owned are not seeing growth in the city like they do in other progressive majority black cities, it's all tied to the fact that council doesn't have the will to actually you know, make those things happen. I mean, our DBE program in the city is a joke. It's been a joke for years because no one has the follow-through to make sure it actually happens. And it's just right. it's frustrating because – People have seemed to have forgotten that the council is actually a co-equal, powerful branch of government that has a check on the mayor's office, and councils just aren't there anymore. And, I mean, the fact that we are a city, even though we're in a right-to-work state where the city government is hostile towards unions, it kind of just blows my mind that we, as Democrats, will tell people all the time we need to support unions, support union labor – and yet, if anybody in city government tries to unionize, the city loses its mind. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's what they do. They're, they're, they're as bad as the corporations what they want to chastise. Right. Well, let's talk about like, – we brought up a little bit about public works when we brought up, like, the trash situation because yeah. that's still ridiculous after Ida. Um, but we also have plenty of other issues. We have – the Sewage and Water Board, um, with, uh-huh. with, which just got raided by the FBI, because and, and part of the problem is the reason they were raided by the FBI so quickly is because all of their paperwork or, or their record keeping is on like note cards or index cards in like file cabinets, <laughs> not electro, not electronic. Uh, which that just can, as a, I'm can, a software can, developer can I, can by I, day, I, that blew my mind. Can, can I tell you the story of what happened when I tried to cut on the water to my camping headquarters? Because you're going to love this. Uh-huh. So I called Sewage and Water Board. My camping headquarters died in two years. I knew I'd have to get a plumber involved. I called Sewage and Water Board. They said, hey, get a plumber to inspect your building. Uh, make sure it's available. We'll get water. Pay a deposit. We'll cut your water on. So I get a plumber to go do it like the next day. Turns all paperwork in. 
I hear nothing for like five, six days. So I call back and I go, what the hell is going on? Why isn't my water on? They go, hey, did you bring your paperwork to Hank? And I was like, who the hell is Hank? <laughs> like Hank's at this address over here. Your plumber's got to physically bring the paperwork to Hank. Get over. Then Hank's going to call you when it's done. You have to take your paperwork and drop it in the night deposit slot. And then somebody in two days will get back to you. On then we will get a customer service rep to cut on your power, to cut on your water. It took me 10 right. days in a dialect so that my volunteers could use the bathroom. The mm. whole time, Dan, I'm thinking, if I was starting a business like a bakery and I had loans with a bank, I had rent I had to pay, I had workers I'd hired, and I had to wait two or three weeks to get the water on, the day I open the bakery, I'm already in the red. Right. In any yeah, other city, I, to your point, it's an online form and an email, and you're done. <laughs> right. It's like crazy. No, it, it, that's crazy. Um, like, I remember, like, it took me forever. Like, there was a water issue, like a leak, and a – like, it's, it's so bizarre. Like, I had, like, a little bit of, a, like, running toilet or something, and all it basically took was me taking a picture of my new toilet box to get them to, to refund the money from the leak because I showed that I fixed it or whatever. But, like, just – the, the amount of hurdles you have to go through to get certain things done is, is just crazy. And then, you know, you have constant issues of people getting overcharged for their water. And, you know, one that usually I have most of my stuff auto drafting from, from like my checking, but this one, sewage water board is from my credit card because like I could always charge back on a credit card. If, if something, if they do something <laughs> wrong, whereas if they have overdrafts, from my checking account, I can't pay the mortgage. So, Dan, you are you you are a glutton for you're like a gambler, aren't you? Giving sewage and water board <laughs> your credit card, man. That that, yeah. that 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 is some straight Russian roulette right there. I mean, it, I've seen the stories of people I've seen getting overdraft or getting their credit card obliterated because they get one of those random three thousand dollar bills that pops up randomly. You are. I appreciate I appreciate the hustle that you live dangerously. I pay that stuff by check when I get the bill because I don't trust those guys with, my, with, with anything like that. Yeah, I, I understand that. But it, we also we also have problems with energy in this in this city. What what like what do you think that the council's role should be in in dealing with energy with on issues of like I mean a there you know I was a big. I was against energy being that, you know, the plans because I didn't believe the promises that they were giving. And of course you had the, the astroturfing that they did in the council to begin with. Um, but like, I used to be a proponent personal on the, on the podcast of where the city should own the lines and handle the maintenance. And then just you sell energy on the lines. But if you don't do that right, you wind up with Texas. So what do, what do you yes. think should be done with, with energy um, and, well, I, and, and what I has think, happened with that? Well, I want to start with the astroturfing thing because I kind of I, – I find it so – I find it so <clears throat> comical in that we had a similar problem in the legislature for years. When I went, joined the legislature in 2006, we used to regularly catch lobbyists lying to us pretty frequently, like just like straight, just making up stuff. And I remember asking the clerk of the house, uh, Butch Spears, I said, can we put people under oath? He goes, yeah, 
but no one ever does it because it's like Congress. You got to pull out a Bible and put their hand up, and it's very disruptive and awkward. And as an attorney, I said, "Well, listen, what if we just put an affidavit on the back of the witness card saying I'm not going to lie?" And he was like, "We can do that." So if you ever go to the legislature and the House and Senate, and you go to fill out a witness card, on the back is an affidavit saying you're not going to commit perjury. The moment we put that affidavit on the back of witness cards, half the lobbyists stop talking. So one of the things I would do immediately on the council is do that on the council chambers. Because imagine if you had to fill out an affidavit saying you weren't going to lie, you'd have had no astroturfing. And I don't know how many people we, – we caught Entergy with astroturfing, but you never know how many developers or Entergy or anyone else is paying people to show up and just say fake things. So you've got to nip that in the bud generally because as policymakers – you're really relying upon people to be truthful when you're trying to make a decision. So that's generally just general issue. As far as energy, I think the council, the council's role, and it's a good thing, is that they're the we are the only city in the southern United States that has the ability to regulate our energy provider directly and not have a state agency do it, in some like like PSC does. That's right. not a bad thing because. Because PSC, one, it's more run by energy than anything else. And two, and more importantly, whenever you have a state body where New Orleans is the minority vote, you're asking for us to be screwed. That's kind of how the legislature is right now. We get screwed regularly because no matter what our position is, majority rules and the majority is outside New Orleans. I think that the problem with the council is they've kind of – I think Helena Moreno's done a really good job of trying to get them back on track, but for years they've kind of lost their way in that they don't have a purely regulatory relationship with energy. And by that I mean that Entergy is a is a provider, and we're and we're the client that regulates them as far as what they give to us. I think right. that when you start doing things like asking for energy, things that are not energy related, like crime cameras or parades, you're part of the problem in that really when you're looking at our regulatory authority, everything should stay within the realm of energy production. Um, the AstroTurf fine from energy was $5 million. Uh, in my conversations with the solar industry, $5 million could have given almost every house that currently has panels the ability to get a Tesla battery installed. Could you imagine what would have happened during Ida if all those houses with solar panels that are still enjoying net metering but could go off the grid immediately? Right. I mean, the amount of pressure it would have been during these summer months, even during the winter months when we got screwed last time, when energy messed up on cutting on, on rolling our power out with brownouts. Like the grid is always going to get more pressure, especially due to climate change. And we should be encouraging people, especially those who are embracing renewable energy, not just to sell energy back onto the grid, but to take pressure off the grid. And the right. council has never really embraced the fact we've kind of partially went half in on solar, but the fact that an average, an average person cannot afford the batteries at their current price per house. But if the council were able to subsidize the ability to buy batteries, that would revolutionize the grid and allow us to even have microgrids within the city of New Orleans. So I think the council, if it has a progressive bent, which it should, because we're a progressive city, push renewable energy. I think energy is never, energy 
is never going to embrace renewable energy on its own. We have to drag them kicking and screaming. And to that point, I think that it's very, very, very important that the council lead in that regard. And in leading, they need to make sure every single charge the council allows energy to do goes to the ratepayers. Something that you may not realize is that whenever you saw that power to the people advertising that went around, that really obnoxious stuff that was up there for a while, <laughs> right. the ratepayers were paying for that. It's a pass-through. The council needs to be much, much more aggressive on saying when energy comes up and goes, we want the rate payers to pay for this, the council needs to say no more often than yes, because right. it should not be. I mean, the, 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 the energy consultants that the council has, the law firm, we pay them $7 million a year. That's more than the PSC pays their lawyers for the entire state of Louisiana. And before anyone says, well, it's complicated or so on and so forth, I, I hear you on all that. But the same token, that's $7 million. Energy is not paying it. Ratepayers are paying it. Pass through. So we tell energy right. to bill $7 million. They go, okay, and they put it on our bills. Like the, count, the council has to be a better fiduciary, responsible agent in saying before a dollar goes to the ratepayers, we need to make sure it's absolutely necessary. There was a time, Dan, not that long ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, where people regularly got rebates from energy because things were cheaper than we thought they were going to be. Over, over hmm. the years, we've allowed energy to capture that money and count it as profit that they give to their stakeholders, to their stockholders. And, hmm. I mean, that's, that's a problem. I mean, yeah. the relationship has, has to be governed it has to be at arm's length, and it has to be respectful. But the same token, Entergy is not our friend. Just like the oil and gas industry, yes, it's nice when they pay for things that we need them to pay for. It's nice when they're cooperative. But whenever you're regulating any kind of industry, there has to be a respectful distance. And right. with Energy in New Orleans right now, I don't feel like – They've got a respectful distance. I will tell you that municipal, always worth investigating whether municipal ownership of utilities is worthwhile. The challenge is, is that, and I'm always 100 with people, even if we were going to go to municipal power generation or even switch to a different provider, it would take years to disentangle from energy because of all right. the different bond issuance we have through them. And so regardless of what the ultimate decision will be on that, we're stuck with them for the near future, and there has to be a reset on, that, on this relationship, a hard reset. And we need to go back to the fact that you are the utility provider, we are the regulator, and we should have a relationship that revolves around that relationship, not around side relationships like I need a parade in New Orleans East. Right. Now, speaking of, you know, monopolies and utilities and stuff like that, you know, I'm here and I'm streaming live and I and and I use Cox and I only have oh Cox God. as an option. And I only have Cox as I don't, I don't have I don't have fiber in my neighborhood yet for AT and T, so I'm stuck with Cox. I have no options and their service is terrible. And I live in Algiers, which is even worse because when it comes to like returning power and internet, we're always last. Like. We, it's terrible over here, but I have no options. So, so what would what would your, you know, what would you propose to to fix issues of Cox and and how they 
off her internet, well, uh, supposedly. Cox has Cox has a functional monopoly. It's not at, like like so. The internet in my infrastructure plan, which is very lengthy, and it's at jpmorel.com backslash infra, backslash platforms. I have an infrastructure plan. If you really you're you're a policy wonk, you'll probably read it. Your your listeners will probably read it. But when I go into Cox and internet, Cox is a functional monopoly because fiber placement underground is actually very 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 expensive, which is why its implementation is so slow. Um, because Cox has a franchise over the cable wires on the poles, that's the reason why the only way we had AT&T early on, this is like AOL time, back when Internet first was birthed into residential households, was through DSL dial-up, which was awful, as we all know. Right. So the, the reason why we've had really slow implementation of competition is that it, when I talk to Spectrum and AT&T about why don't they expand more aggressively – as long as Cox has a functional monopoly, which is over the cable, per, cable per, over cable providing on the telephone lines, over the energy, you know, energy poles, so to speak, they don't want to come in here in a hard way. And so, part of that conversation revolves around getting rid of Cox's functional monopoly and saying anyone can use those poles and anyone can make investments to use the poles as well, because there are parts of the country where all fiber optic Dan, it's not necessarily underground. You can run it along right. the poles and get the benefits from it. It's not as secure, you know, as far as like, as far as environmental factors. But they, it, it's functional and it works. I think the challenge there is twofold. One, you have to make it an open franchise where anyone can afford, anyone who can afford to pay the fees to reach the customers, they can compete. But more importantly, when you have an open franchise where people are paying based upon how many customers they have. My ultimate goal is to create lo-fi, free, or ridiculously cheap internet. Everyone has basic access. What we really learned during, during COVID when everyone switched to virtual learning is that it really became kind of a situation of have and have-nots. There were a lot of families throughout the city that because they had unreliable internet or no internet at all, you had parents that were driving their kids outside of libraries to use the hotspots to get their kids in the class and would literally sit out in the parking lot of a library in a car with their one, two, three, four kids all on those little Chromebooks. Right. They have to park there for the whole day so they can go to class. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we did a distance learning. We, we, we didn't have problems most days, but there was still – like there was times where our, our signal was at least, if, even if we had it, the signal was bad because they weren't used to that many people using the internet in the neighborhood of the day. I think so. I think the uh, the bandwidth dropped significantly. So um, I don't know how much more time you have, uh, but you have uh, what other you know one or two issues would you like to would you, are, are kind of on the top of your radar when you know if, if you were going to hit the ground running and and had your way. Uh, what one or two issues would you would you would you pick out on top of what we talked about and say, hey, th- these are important to me? Well, the, the, one of the big issues to me is how the budget is currently managed. Uh, the city does the budget once per year, and that's it. The council meets with the mayor. They do the budget in November, approve it in December, and no one tracks the budget throughout the year. So basically, 
Have you ever seen the episode of The Office about the uh, printers and the chairs where mm-hmm. Oscar tells Michael that we're running a surplus and so there's a big fight how they're going to spend the surplus because if they don't spend it that day, corporate will cut their budget? That's right. basically city government. Since we're not tracking the budget annually on a monthly basis, we have no way to realize whether or not departments are running surpluses and deficits into account accordingly. So when you look at some of the things we underfund, we underfund Nord horrifically, we underfund juvenile court, we underfund um, – we actually the, – the council cut the funding of the Travis Hill Center, which provides education to kids who are incarcerated. We're not even tracking to see if, like, there's a department that's running a, a, a surplus that could make up the money to do that. Everybody shows up each year. Everyone says they spent their budget from last year and they want their new allowance. You have to change that budgeting process. You have to get in the weeds, dig into it monthly, and track it because because the mayor submits the budget, many departments only ask what the mayor will get, even if they know that that's not enough. Um, When you look at safety and permits in particular and the STR proliferation and the lack of enforcement, that's directly tied to the fact that council does not give enough scrutiny to their budget annually. I mean, they don't even track how many people are hired or currently employed by safety and permits. Um, For those of us who believe in renewable energy, the Resilience and Climate Control Office in the city when Mitch Landrieu left had 12 people. Now it has two. Mm. I don't know how we say we're taking climate change seriously when we've cut the office to one-sixth. These are the kind of things that the council has to really be on top of the budget. The other issue, Jeff Fine very, very, very troubling is obviously we have a tremendous crime problem in the city of New Orleans right now. And the council has largely checked out on their interaction with NOPD and the police and how policing is happening or not happening. That's a real disappointment to me, especially when I hear council members say all the time, well, I can't control that. The city council controls the entire budget of the city of New Orleans. Um, Dan, how long have you been been in New Orleans your whole life? Uh, I've been down here since 94 when I came down for school. Um, I lived in Kenner for a bit, uh, but we bought our house in 2007 after we got married. So I've been, you know, Not 90, a homeowner. 94, 94 is what I needed to hear. So in 1994, okay. when Richard Pennington was, uh, was picked by Mark Moriel, right? people forget that Richard Pennington didn't show up like out of the sky, like dropped by a stork. The city council, this was like during the largest crime wave in America, and New Orleans was the murder capital of the universe. The city council froze the NOPD budget and made the mayor hire, do a nationwide search for a police chief. The council has the ability, and it's in their ability, that whenever something isn't working in government, they have the ultimate power, the power of the purse to say, if you're not going to do your job, we will freeze your budget or dole it out to you on a monthly or weekly basis until we see satisfaction. When people tell me that the council, that there's no money for STR enforcement, there's no money to make sure these contractors that are tearing up our streets and abusing people who complain about it verbally in a lot of occasions. When you hear these stories and the council says I can't do anything, it's because they choose not to do anything. My number one thing that I commit to people in this race is, you will have an activist council member who will get in the middle of things and will go back to having fights. Because right now I feel like the council has kind of become a aimless, dysfunctional body that kind of rubber stamps whatever the mayor does. They don't have agendas or plans of their own. They kind of just react to her. 
That's not the way the legislative branch of government is supposed to work. It's supposed to – I mean, when I was in the legislature at the state level, we drove policy. The governor you know, had his own priorities, but the legislature, especially progressive legislators, we drove policy. And I feel like the council should be driving policy in the city as well rather than waiting to see what mayors do. So if the two things that, I, like I said, that I would really get in the middle of the budget and I would really push the council – to really do stuff rather than reacting to problems once they've gotten completely out of hand, like the trash apocalypse. Right. Yeah, that, that is absolutely out of hand. <laughs> I mean, we, we, I was shocked when we got our trash picked up as early as we did after Ida. But, yeah, it, it's, I, I know people, I, I've drove down the streets. I saw what was going on in, in several of those, you know, areas where you just had trash just piling and piling and piling. It just, it's unacceptable. And yeah, the, the council, like, you know, the, the individual who, one of the individuals who happens to be your opponent is my current council person. And so I, I haven't been too impressed. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> well, uh, certainly at the very least, you've got a lot of great options running over and see right now. And I can right. tell you, I've been very pleasantly surprised at how engaged people have been in the jumping into those open seats to really try and, like, aggressively change things. And, I mean, I think I live in District D where there's 14 candidates, which is kind of overwhelming. Right. But I've met most of them, Dan, and they, even though their policies are all over the place, they're all running for the right reason, which is because they want to make a significant change in a district that's kind of gotten kind of stagnant. And right. I mean, you have to appreciate the hustle in that people really want to go into public service when it's not the most popular gig these days. I mean, I considered it. You know, I, I'm the I'm the most recently elected neighborhood <laughs> association president. It's just that I can't get my board together, so we haven't had a meeting in years. Um, but and I've also I, I ran you know I've, I've run for office a couple of times. I ran against Jindal in 2004. I'm I'm just a terrible fundraiser. I just don't know how to raise funds well like well, you, 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 I, I i am i am happy to give you a, a free i'll give you a, a crash course in fundraising fundraising is miserable but i'm, I'm yeah. happy to kind of give you a give, give you a preview but I, what i will tell you is have you ever run for optech i did and for i the, for the, i was like there was the there was like four people who tied when i ran when i first like i i, I moved down here and like I got my driver's license the next day, and then I put my hat in the ring the next day, and I think I was, I think there's is there twelve from each, from each four, uh, it's, it's fourteen from each district. 14. You were like so 15, fourteen, right? So so <laughs> technically, like in normal Louisiana elections, the amount of votes that thirteen through sixteen got would have been enough to do a, to do a runoff for those seats, um, and I was fifteen. Um, uh, but oh, that is but for optic they don't do it. So I was 15. <laughs> so I just missed it by well, that much. Well, you and I should have an have an additional conversation about the state. Well, not tonight because I have to go put my my five year old to bed. But we should have a follow up conversation about kind of the state of the the state of the party, Democratic Party in Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. and kind of what we need to do to make it functional again. Right, and also have a lengthy discussion about how we can be in a state that has the second highest African-American population in the United States and yet no Democrat be 
functionally, you know, plausible statewide. The only state right. that has a higher percentage of African Americans than us is Maryland. Right. And That's yet we can't. We can't. What's that? That's my middle state. That's where I was raised in Maryland. So. Oh well, the Maryland has the has the most African Americans per capita. Louisiana is second, and yet we don't have any viable statewide Democrats at all. And, and that's and that's other than the although, governor, other, other, other than the governor, which is a very special case, he gets kind of like an asterisk. But yeah, I'm well, gonna yeah, go he, put, he, I'm gonna he go ran up against my, the, the the whoremonger, and then he ran up against somebody who looked like a deer in headlights in the only. Uh, in the only debate they had, I mean, I mean, he was he was Donald Trump without whatever charisma Donald Trump has. So, the, I think I think that's the best the best synopsis of Eddie Rispone I've ever heard. Donald Trump <laughs> with zero charisma and and also the inability to make good one liners. Right. It, it was as soon as I saw that debate, I was like, he's I saw I, he was going to lose this race simply because of the fact that. He just—he's showing that he's not able to handle. He's not ready for prime time. If he would have handled himself a little bit, he might have been able to eke one out. But it was—I mean, I was surprised. I mean, and I was surprised. It was weird. Just a side note: when I was on my honeymoon, um, like the so it was like July, maybe ninth or tenth or something of 2007. I'm kind of just in a daze, waking up in my cruise cabin. And all of a sudden, like in the background, I hear in my mind something about David Vitter and prostitutes. And I woke up and the story was over. And I was like, what? I was like, look at my wife. Did, did you just hear something about David Vitter and hookers? And she was like, no. And I'm like, I could have sworn I just heard something about David <laughs> Vitter and hookers. And so and I spent like, like all day long. I didn't spend like the entire day. But like every time I could see a TV, I'm like, is the news on? Is there? But I had to go run back to the room. I flipped on CNN. I'm like, it's true. And I was like. It's a it's a honeymoon gift from the Vitters for me, <laughs> and and uh, surprise. He didn't. Edwards yes. was able to to be able to handle that issue much better than who who Vitters' opponent was the next time, which I think was Melanson. But um, yeah, I mean we have. I mean, it, it the the party is is been in a really sad state for a while, and I just. I mean, I shook my. I actually went no party for a few years right after they uh, endorsed. Yeah, you, can't, you, um, you, you can't. You, you, you can't. You can't ever do that. I know, but and I, 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 and I say that I say that because I'm going to run after this. But sure, it's sort of like how in the legislature. So as a Democrat, we have to stay in the party to try and fix it because once you stop being part of the party, you're surrendering it to the people that don't want it to be functional. Right. And that, and, that, and that's what I realized at the it, end it, of the it, day. It, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's sort of like when you, when you're frustrated, like when your kids in a school and you're frustrated with the nature of the school and you're upset and you want it to be better and it'd be easier to kind of get out of the school, but you realize that you're one of the vocal parents that's kind of fighting for the kids. And you right. realize that it would be easier for me and my and, and my blood pressure to leave the dysfunctional school, but there's a crap load of other parents who are poor or don't have the time or effort to pick the fights, and sometimes you just got to stay there and try and fix it. So, I mean, that's kind of the Absolutely. party. The party is it's challenging, but good people like you 
people that want to put their nose in the grindstone, you're kind of the future of trying to fix the party. So don't don't go no party because you just give the you give the people that want a dysfunctional pay to play party more more bandwidth to do bad things. Right. All right. So right before you go again, remind everybody else how they can support your campaign. Uh my campaign website is jpmorel.com, and actually, because I was like a pioneer on all social media, all my social media platforms are all jpmorel. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all there. Um, obviously, I'm number 36 on the ballot. We are on the, the the primary election is on Saturday. Please, 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 please go vote because. They always don't want those of us who are progressive to go exercise our right to vote, and it's really the last stand as far as trying to promote change in the city. It should not be so hard to live in the city we love, and what I always tell people, Dan, is we need to stop wishing for change. We need to finally go and vote for it, and I want to be that agent of change to make the city the more progressive city it needs to be. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to having you back on the show, you know, for the, if there's a runoff on the runoff and, you know, for any other reasons as well, if you want to talk about any other issue, we can talk about it as well. But again, well, thank you very we, much. For being we we, we and, definitely and, need to have a, have a, have, we do have that deep dive on the state of the party at some point. Cause it's, it's challenging. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. And good Thanks, luck Dan. this Saturday. Thank All right, again, you. that is J.P. Morrell. If you go to jpmorrell.com, that's jpmorrell.com, and you can figure out, find all of his uh, issues that he supports and see how to support him in the election this Saturday. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, uh, come back, and we'll start talking about the other issue of the day that I wanted to get to, which is the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and some big things happened with it. If you want to join the conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out Budgeteers.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kind of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But Budgeteers is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out budgeteers.com or go to youtube.com slash budgeteers and help make your trip the best it can be. Budgeteers.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. In a world gone mad, one progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the liberal band radio minicast. All right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, 
What a wonderful show. Mm, yeah. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout-out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Demonox, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marscat and find me on Twitter by the handle xdemonox. Letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-X. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. I got a big chuckle because I just, I missed for some reason Demonox's comments in the uh, V-Radio, who, shout out to V-Radio for, um, you know, he was doing some coverage of the Rittenhouse uh, trial earlier today and we're doing some chats or whatever and i was in the chat pretty much all day long listening giving my comments when i could when i wasn't you know actually working uh but (laughs) he said if if i should have an arch nemesis conservative stand and i was like maybe that's my alter ego and demonos goes in conservative stand it or in conservative stand corporations tax you (laughs) so um but corporations are playing zero percent taxes and getting subsidies aren't they by default, taxing us anyway. Food for thought. Anyway, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, uh, so Ripley is calling in but getting nothing. 914-803-4131 is what you're dialing, uh, Ripley, because uh, Ripley was going to be calling in so, so we could be uh, discussing the topics. I'm not seeing anybody calling in, um, and I might have been looking away. So try again, Ripley, and we, we will try. Um We'll try it. We'll try and get it in. And I don't know if we'll have another option. I don't know if you have Skype. I think you can hit the Skype button and connect it as well, perhaps. Um, anyway, but I would do want to shout out to Demonox, the first Liberal Dan Radio Patreon patron. Uh, also, shout outs to Cesar and your boy Chris for also supporting the show. You can also support the show, patreon.com slash liberal Dan or patreon.liberaldan.com. Either way, we'll get you there and you could. Uh, get shouts out on the podcast, on the minicast over on Anchor. You can also get advertising if you want to advertise your podcast, business, or whatever. Or you can sponsor bits or like Hypocrite of the Week. Speaking of Hypocrite of the Week, here's this week's. This week's Hypocrite of the Week is Stephen Crowder. Crowder has criticized liberal arguments about defunding the police and even police abolishment. Crowder touts himself a supporter of law enforcement, except when law enforcement does things that he doesn't like. Now, Crowder is calling for the disbanding of the FBI. So Stephen Crowder is a hypocrite. Prove me wrong. To see who next week's Hypocrite of the Week will be, tune in to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. 
And there you go. And if you are a liberal Dan Radio Patreon, one of the benefits are as soon as I post uh, Hypocrite of the Week or as soon as I come up with it or produce it, it first goes there before you ever hear it on the show. So uh, this week I actually did it on Monday. Shockingly enough, I was uh, very, uh, very uh, proactive this week. With uh, So there you go. But one other thing I do want to talk about before uh, – I do have a I do have my most recent anchor podcast on anchor.fm slash liberal dan uh is and also you can see one of some my videos about it that I've been doing about gerrymandering in this country. And I think if you if you look at the videos that I've made, I believe you would have to say that I'm being even handed about it. That when blue states do it, I call blue states out on it. When red states do it, I call red states out on it. Um so if you want to go and, and see those videos, um you could do that, but I'm also doing a, a project with Levelfield. If you go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com, you can make a contribution as little as five bucks to my uh, Levelfield um, fundraiser, and we're going to try and um, do as much as we can to fight gerrymandering wherever it exists. Um, so if you want to help that, stopthecoup.liberaldan.com is where you can go. And I'm still not seeing Ripley calling. I'm still not seeing anybody calling in. Uh, after, I mean, J.P. Morrell, our last guest, he called in on, the, uh, on, that, on that line, 914-803-4131. So I'm not sure what's going on with Ripley and why Ripley is Oh, Maybe that's Ripley. Hopefully that is Ripley. I see. Hello. Is that you, Ripley? Yes, me. Awesome. We were able to get Ripley onto the show. So I got a new talking long enough. It would, it, it would, it, it would happen. Um, so, so, you know, just to clear there for everybody, you know, on, on a previous show, I had talked about some conversations that I had with Ripley and we were kind of going back and forth and butting heads on this issue. Um, now I feel that Ripley at some point may have misrepresented me. I think Ripley feels that I may have misrepresented him. Um, and I'm all about second chances. I'm all about, um, I'm all about trying to do our best to try and get together and sit down and have a meaningful, rational conversation uh, when it comes to any of the issues that we're going to be talking about. Um, so which is why ultimately, you know, for a while I was, I, I didn't want to, half the reason that I wasn't wanting to continue the discussions that I was having with Ripley on Johnny Walker Dredd's YouTube channel is that, I just wasn't in the right space to be able to handle the conversation. And, and I, I didn't feel like I was going to be um, the calm, rational person that I, that I normally like to try and be when we're discussing the issues. So I was like, I'm just going to step back to tell Ripley to have a nice day and just let it go. But uh, to, to your credit, Ripley, you did apologize uh, for, for one of the things that you did. And, and if I, if I misrepresent, excuse me, if I mis- misrepresented you on anything you said, I, I apologize as well. I always want to make sure to represent people's arguments accurately and correctly. Um, so, again, I apologize for you as well for any misrepresentations that I might have had. And hopefully with this conversation, um, we can maybe work together to bridge that gap. Um, that being said, before we get to the conversation, I do want to say uh, one of the things that I did before this show um, is I made a video about um, where I was like, let's, let's take a pause for a second from Carl Rittenhouse and bring up Amon Aubrey. And the reason that I wanted to do that uh, is because I, I kind of want to see where people, you know, there are more than three types of people, but I think there's, there's, there's maybe three classes of people, you know, people who think that Rittenhouse is guilty. 
and or or should be found guilty. Then you have people, I think, who may be undecided uh, about Rittenhouse's guilt and as such don't believe maybe there's enough evidence to convict. So they think he'll get off or they think he'll be declared not guilty in court. And then I think there are people who believe that Kyle Rittenhouse is factually innocent um, based on the evidence that they've seen. So not just not enough evidence to convict, but factually innocent. So the to the factually innocent folks, I wanted to ask a question about the Ahmad Arbery killing because you had uh, Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan, um, who we all saw the video, and I, I kind of wanted to get the opinions of the people who believe that Rittenhouse is factually innocent to see, do you believe that the Arbery killing was murder? Do you believe that, um, or do you believe that McMichaels, the McMichaels and Brian were justified in their actions that day. And one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to specifically tie it back to you, uh, Ripley, is that um, one of the arguments that was made by the defense in the, um, I don't know whose attorney it was. I don't know if it was one of the McMichaels or if it was Brian. Odds are it was the McMichaels because there's two of them. Um, But you know, they, they were making an argument that basically said that because Arbery was reaching for McMichael's gun, that that justified McMichael in, in firing the gun and using deadly force because had Arbery gotten the gun from him, um, it would have, it would have, it could have meant that McMichael would have been, have his life put at risk. Um, and so that's, to me, that is a similar argument to one that you made about why Rittenhouse should have felt free because if, if you feel that Rosenbaum was literally grabbing for the gun and, and now Aubrey had a much firmer grab on the gun than, than Rosenbaum had on Rittenhouse's gun. Um, but if, but that's one of the reasons why I kind of want to connect the two and to see the opinions to see, to, to see if you believe that the Michaels are innocent of self-defense or innocent and it was self-defense because of Arbery's grabbing for the gun? Um, or is there a difference between the two trials or it, whatever? So, so I had specifically thought of you because you have made that argument. Now, I'm going to hand the ball over to you and I'll let you talk. And I've, I was because I've been talking for a few minutes now. Um, and, and I try not to use the mute every once in a while, but I do want to have it be a back and forth. So if, if I feel like you're getting to a point where you're filibustering. I might jump jump in, but um, is there anything incorrect in how I've addressed what you've said about because by reach by, by reaching for somebody's gun that should make it self-defense? And um, are there exceptions to what to to that that in the case where is, is there any differences between what happened with the Arbery case and the Rittenhouse case and where do you think I got it wrong when it came to uh, my opinions that I stated about uh, the ability to use deadly force simply because you're having a gun, therefore you people attacking you become somehow more of a threat? Go ahead. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh... First off, I just got back from the dentist. I'm using a shave phone, so if I sound list, but thank you for having me on. Okay. My pleasure. Uh, I I do believe that while the Kyle Rittenhouse case, that is self-defense, I can't justify any way uh, the McMichaels. That's definitely unlawful, definitely murder. 
Uh, I'm not really as familiar with that case. Not really interesting to me, but yeah, the, about the only thing in common between that and the Rittenhouse case is a, a man with a long gun having it trying to be taken away by another man. But with that case, they were the aggressors. They were acting on information that they didn't quite have see him go in there, so they put him in the spot where he pretty much had to do what he had to do. Right. So see, look, we so, found yeah, a I, point of agreement, so there we go. We, uh, we can agree, we agree on that, so good. I, I'm glad we found a point where we can agree. Sorry, you kind of cut there. But, uh, uh, I, was, I, was living, I was letting you go on if you had any other points, so uh, yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, I understand you not liking that rules might be different for someone with a gun, but you have to remember, when you have a gun and you put it into a situation, everything is testing, it's higher uh, stakes, got to be really careful. That's why, like, you pepper spray me and I don't have a gun, not much I can do. But if I'm open carrying and you do try to pepper spray me, yeah, I can shoot you. There's been plenty of cases where that's happened because if you immobilize me, you can take my gun and there's pretty much nothing I can do about it. So, yes, the rules are definitely different because the stakes are different. And see, I, my, 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 my concern with that um, is simply that, you know, and maybe I worded it inartfully, uh, like, you know, I admit I worded my you can't be charged with you can't claim self-defense if you're committing a crime blanket statement. I inartfully and inadequately represented, you know, what, you know, what should be the case or what should have been my argument back then. And because I listened to, you know, Johnny Walker Dredd and some of the arguments made by him and some of the people that subscribe to his channel, uh, I, you know, I, I, I altered my view because people made some points that I agreed with. Um, so and one of the, and just kind of maybe roll it back a little bit is, is I feel like a lot of the things that we've done recently in this country when it comes to like rules on self-defense is that we've, we've made it easier for people to get away with using their guns in, in what would, was traditionally an illegal way, I, I should say. And now that's, I'm not, not trying to appeal to tradition in that just because we did it a certain way is not an excuse to continue doing it. Appeal to tradition is a logical fallacy. Um, but my concern is, is that, you know, if we set up the rules, so like one of the things we did um, in this country, or we've done in this country in many States is change how um, the self, the affirmative defense of self-defense works, where it used to be, if I raise an affirmative defense for any, any crime, it was it was my responsibility to then prove, you know, that with with a preponderance standard that my what normally would be an illegal action was a legal action, and here's why. But we've changed that um, in you know Florida, Wisconsin, Texas, other states, uh, Georgia. Uh, we've changed that to where if you raise the affirmative defense, it's up to the prosecution to disprove that it was. A, a, um, that, that it was a reasonable person, a reasonable mind, or a re reasonable person in that situation uh, would have done the same thing. Um, so I, I think that's dangerous in that, you know, we're, we're just kind of 
you know, it should already, it was already hard to convict people of, of, of any crime because of the standards of burden of proof that you have to reach for any crimes. And it just seems like we're adding on more to make it even harder for individuals uh, to be convicted in certain situations, especially when it comes to, to gun crimes. Um, one would argue, well, one might argue, and I would probably argue um, that if we have you know, a situation where somebody is going into a situation where they are armed. You know, the risks clearly are there that, 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 you know, they have a gun. They have to not only use that gun responsibly, they have to, you know, protect that gun response, you know, as well. Um, but, you know, it, it, to, if, if you're entering that situation, if you, and you, you, you use the word escalation, that, that, that by simply by somebody having a gun there, let's just say written at Rittenhouse by having a gun on his body automatically escalates the situation. Um, and I think that could be said tr- that's true in like, the people around him, you know, if Rittenhouse is walking around without a gun, people might've not even noticed him that much, or there's just this kid walking around asking if people need a medic, you know, if he didn't have a gun on, on his person, but people, looked at him and said, oh, well, here's this armed kid asking people want a medic. They might've been like, oh, okay, what, what's up? What's the deal with this? You know, you know, it's, you know, the, the person who, who might attack, you know, maybe, maybe the person with the gun might feel that there's a bigger threat if they get the gun, but the people around that person also believe that this person is a bigger threat because they have the gun. Um, and, I just I just have a real problem with the idea that that if 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 we have two people, one of which is armed and one of which is not armed, and a, a person does the same does an act to somebody who is unarmed that wouldn't justify deadly force, the fact that the person is armed shouldn't then justify deadly force. That's my problem with that interpretation of the law. I think that's, that creates dangerous situations where people who, who, people who have bad intentions can use that as an excuse to kill. People who, it might make people, you know, less likely to even worry about, you know, proper force escalation techniques. Because, you know, if, if, if you... If you can just simply claim, well, I, I felt he was reaching for my gun. Does it, if, let's say there two people are alone, and I and I want and I kill somebody. All I got to do is say I thought he was reaching for my gun, and it's now up to the prosecution to disprove that. Well, if nobody's around, if nobody's around, how do we disprove that? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I got it. I, that's a fair point. And uh, before I talk about that, you mind if I talk about uh, self-defense laws, uh, how things used to be and how they are now? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you mentioned Florida. I, by the way, none of the states you mentioned I've ever lived, taught, or even been to, except maybe okay. Georgia once. But uh, Florida I can kind of speak to. It used to be four things that they are now is uh, overzealous prosecutors putting people behind bars who claim self-defense. And that's why uh, you seem to have this concept that people could just claim self-defense and boom, they can get that trial. 
it's not that easy. With a state like Florida, for example, if you wanted to claim a people don't understand what stand your ground is. What stand your ground is, is if you meet a certain standard, then you pretty much are granted immunity and you won't go before trial and be charged. People think the Zimmerman case was uh, something like that, but it had nothing right. to do Zimmerman with Zimmerman was not stand your ground. ground. Yeah, Zimmerman was not no. stand your ground. He, it, was, it, was self, it was a self-defense case, but it wasn't stand your ground. Yeah, the media turned in because I think uh, from what I read, there was a Zimmerman attended a class that was like standard round and they ran with that. But, but it's not that easy to claim self-defense and have it immediately go to court. You have to meet a standard. You have to show, uh, I don't know what the good word for, the preponderance. Uh, you have to meet a certain standard. It's not like if you cross this line, I shoot you. I claim self-defense, and that will immediately go to trial. There have been people, plenty of people who have claimed self-defense, and then they end up getting charged with murder, and the trial has nothing to do with self-defense because they couldn't meet that standard. Uh, if you want to look back at Florida, pre, uh, specifically Florida, because that's mainly what I'm familiar with out of all those states, pre-stand your ground, Overzealous prosecutors were putting people behind bars for defending themselves and other people, and that's why we have stand your ground there, or they have stand your ground there. I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, as for uh, you talking about situations that wouldn't normally require the use of deadly force being justified due to the person carrying, they're not the same. You're saying, you're trying to say, well, if a person does this, how do I explain this? They're not the same situations. When you have a gun in a situation, it's completely different. You can't compare it to anything else because having a gun is still like gun anything else. Things are so high staked. And I get it, I get it. You can't just, I'm really having a hard time trying to explain this to you. I should have done more. Uh, should have broke some notes, but no. I, I, look, I understand. What you're, I understand what you're saying with that. I do understand the general concept that yes, it, it's different. It's, it's a different situation because now you're armed. Um, but should it then there be something to be said about you know maybe if if, if you want to go into a situation and, and like be armed like Rittenhouse was, like the other individuals who were armed that night. Um, if you want to go into that situation, um, you know, maybe to protect yourself legally, one should maybe have to, you know, understand, like, if, 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 if I could, like, point to a course and say, like, look, I went to this course on, on when it's okay to use lethal force versus when it's not okay to use lethal force. Um, you know, if I, if, you know, some, something else that like to me, if, if there's, if, if you by where having a gun on your person automatically escalate it, then maybe shouldn't, shouldn't the person who have, has the gun also be required to be responsible with how to use the gun in, in that, you know, if you're going to be walking around in, in this, especially in that situation where they're, they're there 
to for to to perform a task that is meant to defend whatever you're defending. And I'm just going to leave it at whatever you're defending. Um, that that maybe there should be some sort of you know responsibility there that you as a person should should understand those risks that come with having a gun on your person and should be and should also understand uh the 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 force escalation you should be able to show like i don't think like if you sat kyle rittenhouse down and and maybe i'm wrong about this but if you sat kyle rittenhouse down and asked him what the force escalation what's proper force escalation what's not I don't, I don't tend to believe that before this trial happened that he would be able to tell you when is a good one, when is a not good one. I sat in on a police course one time at a Citizens Police Academy when I lived um, in Kenner, Louisiana. And they did a whole bunch of things with, you know, showing us how policing worked and, and certain things. And one of the things that we did uh, was we were placed into a simulator um, with a, with a um, working gun type thing. It, it only shot like... It, 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 I don't think it was a working gun. I don't think it would shoot real bullets, um, but it had the same functionality. It had a trigger. It would shoot uh, some sort of other type of projectile that would hit a screen, but it wasn't at the force of a regular bullet. Anyway, and you would be put in a situation, and the, there would be a timer on you know when deadly force was hit and when it wasn't hit. And I, you know, I, I did that course, and... I always when when deadly force was called for, I I like I nailed it right on the right on cue. I was like I I, I did it exactly. Now of course the simulation it can't necessarily equal real life. Um, you, it's, it, you, the real life situation is going to be much different. But it, through that through that, I, I was I was able to learn. Okay, these are proper force escalation techniques. These are the things you're supposed to do in order to prevent uh, a death from happening if you're a police officer holding a gun. And if you're a regular person holding a gun, I think maybe there's also some, something to be said about a requirement to, um, to, to also be able to understand these things and understand that. I know, I know what the argument against that is, which is, it's, a, a, it's potentially a second amendment type argument, even though Scalia said in Heller that you can in fact have some regulations on gun control. Um, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is there some responsibility on gun owners to be able to – should there be some responsibility on gun owners and gun carriers uh, to be able to um, know these things, know how to properly um, defend, defend themselves, know what proper force escalation tactics are, and, and knowing exactly and being able to understand, hey – this is what's going to happen. These are the added risks that come to you because you're wearing a gun. So I, don't know, I want to talk about it a little bit. I've filibustered a bit too long than I wanted to, but um, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I wouldn't make a Second Amendment argument. I don't, that's relevant, but uh, my question would be not should they be responsible, but what is responsibility? Many people I've spoken to say that going to the right itself was not responsible. Uh, I I get why people would disagree with that. I've done it. I know people who've done that. Kyle's done it. Plenty of other guys were there doing it. It depends on what you think responsibility is. Uh, I said I worked as an instructor. 
met a lot of dumb people that should not have guns. <laughs> uh, we had little pamphlets that I made when I worked at an FFL in the, we handed those out, had like escalation of force, how to store firearms and, uh, mm, what you're talking about, people do have classes for uh, a man by the name of Assad Ayub. He's been around since seventies and that's his bread and butter teaching use of force. Uh, what happens when you pull the trigger on someone, uh, and the connotations and responsibilities that come with having a firearm. One thing that we stress is that you do not put yourself in situations where you might be required to use deadly force. You win 100% of the battles that you do not get in. But when your community is burning, that aside and say, it's negligible. The city is burning we can go out there and prevent it. Is that responsible? I don't know. I'd be a hypocrite for saying that it isn't, because I've done it, but uh, that's the question. Well, I, I think a lot of it may have to do just simply with how prepared one is for uh, for the situation that that might occur. I mean, I, I don't know the background of every single person who was there with Rittenhouse that night, um, initially um, standing guard by the uh, the car sources, or that's the correct name, I believe. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how many, what the background of everybody was who was there. Um, I think I'm correct in assuming that a, a good chunk of them probably had some former military experience. Um, people, you know, or former maybe policing experience. You know, people who had been trained in how to deal um, with situations like this. Now, are, are there adults there who might have also not had that experience? Potentially, I'm not sure. Um, but if, if somebody was going to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to use my experience and I'm going to use my training that I've received, either serving in law enforcement or serving in the military, um, and, try and, and try and help my community and, and, do, and be able to do so in a responsible way, because I know that with my training that I will be able to handle myself in that situation. You know, I, I'm not going to sit there and, and say, you know, you should not be out there. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I probably wouldn't go out there, but again, I also don't have that experience myself either. Um, I think a lot can be said about the fact that I believe a lot of people failed Kyle Rittenhouse that night. Um, I, I don't, I, I think it's clear that he wasn't, ready to be in such a situation. I think it was irresponsible to send him off to the car source three. Um, somebody else probably should have done that. Uh, sending him off to car source three, I think was um, a bad idea. Um, I think having him there potentially there armed might've also just <clears throat> simply been a bad idea um, as well. Um, you know, there's, there's, we all know, the, you know, the, there's the debate over whether or not it was legal for him or not to ha have that rifle. Um, a lot of people haven't read the law to see how poorly written it is. Um, you know, it, my gut reaction on that, if, if he is going, I mean, just, you know, I've said this in, in V radio's, uh, chat before, um, you know, earlier today that Binger's terrible. 
I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I, I've looked at some of the things that he did, to, that Binger did today, and it was like, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you bringing up Call of Duty? Why are you making this horribly antiquated argument that somehow video games are, you know, making you more violent? I mean, yeah, I, play, I used to play Grand Theft Auto a bunch. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm going to go pick up hookers on the side of the road to gain health, which was a weird mechanism in Grand Theft Auto, because why would you gain health with a hooker? You would seem more likely to get more sick with a hooker. But that's another story. <laughs> but the uh, and I'm not trying to be not sex positive. Liberal Dan Radio is sex positive and we support sex work on the show. If you, you know, whatever we feel that you should be able to do whatever you want to do with your body. But still. In the, in the realm of the game that, that you were playing in, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand the mechanic. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not about to go start picking up hookers on the side of the street just because of the fact that, or start carjacking people simply because I play a stupid game. Uh, so I don't know what Binger was thinking with that. If, if, if Binger is able to get a conviction on any of these charges, if it's not tossed on mistrial, because again, Binger was stupid for bringing up the CVS video. Um, if he's able to get a conviction on anything, it's, probably the gun charge and in my opinion the gun charges if he does get a conviction on the gun charge it's likely to be tossed out on appeal because of how badly written the law is so my son line yeah you're still there you're still here all right uh going through a lot of points here uh you brought up past experience and that's where I will agree with you that he was failed by Ryan, Jason, everyone else. I, I did a breakdown, a tactical breakdown. Got some old info in it since the trials come out, but it's on my Twitter. Uh, Ryan, he's brave as hell. He, he's a really brave, charismatic guy, but God damn, is he dumb. <laughs> he will, I get fog of war and everything, but he lost him and then didn't go looking for him. I mean, I give the guy credit. He's dealing with the crowd. He's running towards gunfire. Uh, after the shooting, explosives go off behind him, and he immediately turns and raises his rifle. Really brave guy, but not very smart. Mm-hmm. Jason, the Marine guy, uh, I don't know if you know this, the shots that were fired after Kyle gets up, Jason was the one who did that. Uh, I'm talking to v, uh, Neil from V Radio, he brought that up too. I thought I was the only one who thought that. But that's why when he said, I blacked out on trial, he's pretty much covering his ass. But yeah, he mm-hmm. fired those shots. Right. Which speaks to his negligence. But and, and the thing is, is you can't just allow some, if you have a legal right to do it, you cannot say, oh, you have experience, so you can go. You don't. You can't. If you have a legal right to be there, you have a legal right to do it. You can't really say anything about it. Well, I mean, you know, hindsight is obviously twenty twenty. But, like, let's say, I mean, I don't think if I was 17 years old that my parents would have been okay with me going into an area where, where rioting was going to be happening. Um, that being said, whatever. You know, it, you know hindsight is twenty twenty. Um but, like, you know, he could have been there in a purely, I'm going to be a medic role. I'm going to go give first aid as possible. I'm going to try and help people out. Like, I, I'm going to help the other people who are armed out and the people who were, and maybe, 
if he always would have stayed with somebody else who was armed, he could have been protected by anybody if, if an armed response was necessary to, help, to, to save his life or to save anybody else's life. That, that as long as he was with somebody else who was armed, that could have been somebody who potentially could have been the responsible person to be able to, you know, help him do whatever he needed to do. And he could have focused on, you know, you know, pulling the dumpsters back from the streets or, you know, performing first aid, maybe, maybe, maybe being the, a person who could bring water to people or whatever, or, or just helping out without necessarily being somebody who was armed. Um, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but you know, even with all that, you know, to me, you know, what, one of the things, and I'm going to go ahead, let me go ahead and play my last commercial break. I'm going to put you on hold. I will, we will come back to you after the break, as long as my mouse works. So I'm going to put you on hold for a second. I'll bring you back after the break. Uh, we'll come back and take calls as well, discuss some of the other issues that were brought up uh, in the trial as well today. Uh, 914-803-4131. If you want to join the conversation, it's, 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will. <laughs> Catch you on the tunes. Do you want to set money aside for a rainy day? Do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month? What if I told you that you can get both and have a chance to win $10 million? Yada is an FDIC-insured bank, and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com, open an account, and make your first deposit, you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. So go to yada.liberaldan.com. That's Y-O-T-T-A dot liberaldan.com. Using gerrymandering, voter suppression, and other nefarious tactics, the Republican Party has manipulated our electoral system to maintain as much control as possible despite being a party in the minority. Liberal Dan Radio seeks to change that, and I need your help in doing so. Liberal Dan Radio has partnered with Levelfield to help us use tools that are typically only available to big money donors. When you go to StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com and make your contribution, it will encourage other voters to reach out to their legislators to pass legislation to stop gerrymandering and voter suppression and target elected officials who refuse to protect the vote. Every eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and that ballot should have the same power as everyone else. I can't do this alone. I need your help. So please go to StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com and make your contribution today. That's StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. Political advertising paid for by Levelfield. Contributions are not tax deductible as charitable contributions. 
And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, that's right. Again, this is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131, 914-803-4131. I do have on the line Ripley from YouTube, who we've been having a, a good and civil conversation, and that is, I think this is the best conversation we've had so far, including text ones. Um, I think we've managed to, you know, to, to be fair with each other and to and to, to be respectful of each other. And that is a good thing. And hopefully if, if that can remain the case, we will continue potentially uh, to have such uh, conversations in the future. So um, I did take you off on mute, but let me, let me just talk about one thing real quick. I want to, want to address something uh, that, that uh, Neil uh, V radio had uh, brought up um, because he really, really wanted uh, my uh, opinion um, about uh, what's what's the frickin' I was Zeminsky. I always I, I keep wanting to say Zelinsky, but it's Zeminsky. Wanted wanted to hear my my information, my 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 feelings about Zeminsky and his shots in the air um, as it pertained to uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's use of force against uh, Rosenbaum. Um, and what what I find interesting what happened today. And first of all, I was shocked. That I mean I know there was rumors that there was there was there was rumors that perhaps they were considering putting Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand, but it's been my understanding um, that you typically don't do that unless you feel like you're in trouble. Like it's it's the I've said on this show, don't give government any more rope than they need any any rope to try and hang you. You know if the police are coming up to talk to you, shut up, ask to speak to a lawyer. It's not your job to help the police do, do their job. Let them do their job, but you don't have to help them. Don't, and don't testify, you know, at a trial, except unless it's absolutely net, like if you're losing the case miserably and you need to have the accused testify, then fine, you have to do it. But usually it's seen as the defense is in trouble when you're doing it. So a lot of people, you know, who believe that Kyle Rittenhouse is actually innocent, were rightfully surprised and worried about the fact that they were made the decision to put him on the stand. But one of the things that we got from that, from his testimony was that uh, a lot of people were saying, including V radio, if I'm, if I'm getting this wrong again, you can correct me here or you can call in or whatever. um, That part of the reason thing that justified Kyle Rittenhouse using deadly force against Rosenbaum was not just the idea that they felt that Rosenbaum was reaching for the weapon in the, and, and the one person who testified that a weapon was being reached for, um, but that Rittenhouse would have been afraid for his life because he heard the shots and couldn't have known if it was, written, if it was Rosenbaum who had fired those shots or not when Rittenhouse made the decision to take that first shot. Um, Rittenhouse, to me... And I think I would I would think many other people would agree. If you disagree, I mean, let me know um, that by Rittenhouse testified that he knew he saw uh, Rosenbaum's hands in the air and knew that he was not armed. So if he knew that Rosenbaum was not armed as he was closing the distance, uh, then those then he would then have to have known that the shots that he heard clearly did not come from Rosenbaum. So in which case, the shots fired by Zeminski, while, you know, 
maybe Zeminski should be charged for illegally discharging his weapons in a in, in a public area. I would fully support that because that was an irresponsible use of his gun. Um, and by all means, do it. They should do it. And if they don't do it, then and they know that he did it, then that's I don't know if I don't know if malfeasance is the right word, but it's definitely dropping the ball on somebody who took a who did something that should be considered a criminal action. Um, but I think that I, I think that the, 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 the Minsky point was eliminated um, by Rittenhouse's own testimony, which is one of the reasons why you don't want to have the defendant getting on the stand is because prior to this, I think a lot of people believed that the Zeminski's shooting in the air could have contributed to the decision of whether or not self-defense was reasonable. And I think now that we have Rittenhouse's testimony, it's not. It's, it's, you can't now say that Zeminski's firing the gun in the air justifies. Can I add on to this? Absolutely, yeah. I was going to, I was going to go to you in a second, but yeah, go ahead. If, if, if you, uh, am I wrong? Do, do you disagree with man. that point? Huh? Nope. That's a bit of a straw man. Neil never claimed that Kyle potentially thought Rosenbaum was the one that fired the shot. The point is that you're being chased by a man. You have a gun. You hear a gunshot behind you. You turn around and that person is lunging for your gun. Not only would it have been justified to shoot that person had the other person not fired because he could potentially take your gun, but now you've got to worry about the third party interfering if you were to go hands-on with that person chasing you. They didn't use this argument, but it is reasonable. If someone's chasing me, I hear a gunshot, any thought of going hands-on with the person chasing me is out the window because I know that at any moment while I'm going hands-on with this person can come up and shoot me. Now, not only do I have to be worried about the man trying to take my gun, I have to be worried about the asshole who gets popped around at me. That's what we're saying. Okay. Um, v Radio says in the chat, um, and Kyle said before he started crying, uh, Zeminski moves on him. For, yeah, I mean, Zeminski um, did, you know, he, Rittenhouse did say that he, he made a step back from Zeminski, and that's when he saw Rosenbaum. Um, Zeminski was part of that, and yes, Zeminski did have a gun. Um, but, and this is what I recall. And, you know, you know, you're, you're saying it's a straw man and, and, and a straw man is, is, is a lie because you're, you're purposely erecting an argument that, you know, you, you don't, I don't you, mean that you you're doing it true. intentionally. I'm, that's, I okay. probably could have worded okay. that better. I don't think you're doing it intentionally. I think you just didn't quite understand the argument being made. But, but I, I really recall, and it stood out in my mind because it was in the conversation today in his live stream, that that when he specifically, I think, verbally asked me about my opinions about Zeminski, that 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 the point was made that um, the use of force against Rosenbaum was justified because there was no way to know whether or not it was Rosenbaum that was armed as he was charging, or if it was Rosenbaum or not that used that gun. I, I, and and I mean, Neil's free to to correct me on, on if he didn't mean something like that. But that's what I got from him when I was when when I was hearing the point that was being made to me. Um, and if, if if people are making that point, then I think that point has been now. The other point that you're making, which is which is, you know, you know whether or not you know Rittenhouse could have gone hand to hand with Rosenbaum. Um, and that decision could or could not be made or could be made or could it, or could be made 
Um, you know, if maybe if it was one-on-one versus now you have the idea of somebody in the background who could also jump in on the fight. I mean, that that's, that's a different argument that I don't know if it's countered by that, but if, at least if, if you're making the argument that to, that if you to me, the argument by Neil was made that if there was a, if, 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 if Rittenhouse couldn't know who had the gun and that's why he, he, he could have, he could have assumed rightfully that it was Rosenbaum's um, because he did, he heard it, but didn't see where it was. But since he admitted that he knew that Rosenbaum was not armed, then to me, okay, he says, no, that's not my argument. Zeminski was only part of the party moving Kyle. Kyle had every reason to believe Zeminski was involved in what came next. Um, and see, that wasn't clear to me in the chat earlier today. So, and that, that's why I made the point. Um, now, one thing that, and one thing that, that I do want to say before we, um, before, I mean, I don't know what, we don't have to end immediately. We can continue talking for a while. But um, before I forget about the point that I wanted to make was, what, where I think, if, if I had to make my best guess as to where um, Binger is going with this, where Binger might um, be, be, the point he might be making with some of his arguments. Now, I'll say flat out, I don't know where he was going with many of his arguments. I don't know where he was going with the, again, the video game arguments. And uh, we had a lot of fun in the chat thinking of all the different ways that, you know, in video games, you uh, you uh, do you, you know you do things that you don't do in real life. Um, I don't necessarily know where he was going with the semantical argument of you know you intended to shoot versus intended to kill. I mean, I think I think he, I mean, I think he could have word. I think he could have been a little more artful in how in wording that argument as well. That simply by knowing that you you know if you would have made the argument. Did you know that by bringing a gun and if you had to use it, you could have potentially killed somebody that night? And that, that probably could have been all that needed to be said and not the beating of the dead horse that Binger did um, that, that he did. But some of the other arguments that Binger made, um, and I could be wrong on this. You know, it could be this is just my speculation as to, as to what maybe um, Binger's close, his closing arguments might be. Um, where I think he's going to try and maybe, I don't know if building a cake would, or building a, a cake would be the best way to describe it or, or deconstructing a cake maybe uh, would be the best way to decide it or to, to, to describe it. But um, I think he's going to try and make the argument that, um, you know, okay, here's, here's the, here's the deal with the Rosenbaum killing at the very least. Um, if you like, he took four shots at Rosenbaum. I think that, that Binger may very well say, okay, well you as the member of the jury, you know, you have to determine whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse used deadly force. And, 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 and each time that he used deadly force, was it reasonable? And if it wasn't reasonable, then it's not legal self-defense. So then I think he's going to walk them through each step, each shot that he took at Rosenbaum. I think he's going to say, okay, you know, there may be people who believe, maybe you believe that his first shot was not proper use of force. So then, um, so then, okay, let's say there are people in the jury who believe that the first shot, the one I think that hit his hip, um, if I'm remembering that correctly, 
that maybe that maybe they believe that the first shot was justified, you know, but was the second shot justified? Was the third shot justified? Was the fourth shot justified? I think that, you know, I think that, that that's, I think what Binger is going to go, I think he's going to say, he's going to try and make the argument that at some point during the four shots that, that when he, that his ultimate use of force was not legal in that because he, one of his shots at some point you have to say that he'll have to say, or he'll say that the shots were not, um, were not justified. Now I've seen people in the chat um, say, well, when I was raised, uh, when I was taught how to use my gun, I was taught to empty the clip. Um, and of course, Rittenhouse's argument, um, and it is an argument similar. You know, when I was a freshman uh, down here in the city of New Orleans, going to college, uh, we would, uh, my, my resident advisor, uh, you know, was having a conversation with what to do if you happen to be like downtown and you get involved in a little bit of a kerfuffle in a, in a, in a fight, if you will. And so the, the argument that was given to us or the, or the line that was given to us uh, as freshmen who may or may not, you know, be likely to get into a fight downtown in the French Quarter on Bourbon Street was, uh, is, is if you're defending yourself by hitting somebody, um, what you say to the cops is that I hit him until he stopped hitting me. Uh, so what Rittenhouse said was basically something similar, whereas I, that he kept shooting until he felt that he was no longer in danger. Um, that's and, what he should have said. Well, I think that's what that's he did exactly say. exactly what we tell our students to do when they get to shootings. You don't say, I shot the person. You said, I defended myself. I used force until I felt it was reasonable that the threat was gone. And, and, and you I believe say, he did say, I killed someone. Right. Well, I think he did say that. It, I think he said both. But I think I think the point that he did say and when he said that, I was like his I think his lawyers made sure that he said that because <laughs> um, clearly, I mean, you're going to have somebody taking the stand. You're going to coach him on how to how, what to say when you're taking the stand to make sure that you're not incriminating yourself. Um, but he said what he should say, which is that which is that I, I defended myself until you know, I felt that, you know, my life was no longer in danger. And I think wrote, and I think uh, Binger is going to try and make the argument that um, that if you don't believe that the first shot was was if you believe that the first shot was reasonable, maybe you shouldn't believe that the second shot was reasonable and so on and so forth. And I think that's going to be the way he tries to weave the path into saying that one of those at least one of those shots fired at Rosenbaum was not a reasonable use of force in self-defense. Now, whether or not the jury buys it or not, I mean, the way I've seen Binger run this case, I would bet money that the jury is going to buy it. Or if the jury does buy it somewhat, I don't think they're going to buy it to the degree that they would be required to convict, which is why I've said multiple times uh, that uh, I don't expect a conviction in this case, be, you know, because of, simply because of how Binger's handled it, let alone whether than what you feel about the the, um, the whether or not you feel about the whatever you feel about the the facts of the case, I think the prosecution of the case has been piss poor. Um, you know, if, if and uh, and I've said a lot of times, so if if without a Rosenbaum conviction, I don't think you get all you, you don't get all three. 
Um, I don't think you get a. I don't think you get a conviction. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I think the only only other way to get a conviction is an argument about um, Gage, um, however you pronounce his last name, um, and the. Uh, I'm going to get to there's a there's an argument going on in the chat and I'll get to that in a second as well. Um but possible that he could get a conviction on on the maybe the weapons charge and on Gage Grosscrantz or whatever. Um because of the may, maybe the jury might buy that he shouldn't have, you know, shot at him when his hands were up in the air um or that his hands up in the air should have shown maybe they they maybe they'll believe um, that he was trying to surrender, but then Rittenhouse didn't uh, accept the surrender, so therefore he had to close the gap and try and grab the gun. Um, maybe they'll believe that. Um, maybe they won't because of some inconsistencies with what uh, Gage said. Um, and who knows? That's, but again, it's all, typically very hard to... Get a, it should be hard to get a conviction in a criminal murder case anyway because you need to be able to reach that burden of proof. And it's extremely hard to do it when your prosecutor is seemingly incompetent. Um, and there was nothing that I, – I, I was believing that the case was going to get thrown out right then and there when Binger brought up the CVS tape. Because even though I believe the CVS tape should be considered relevant or at least the jury – I at least believe that the jury should be able to hear that um, and make their own decisions as to whether or not it's relevant or not um, with, you know, but the judge was clear. Don't that I'm not allowing it at this time. And I might change my mind. And when he asked Rittenhouse um, his opinion, or if he believed that use of force can be done in other situations that I was like, Oh no, he's bringing up CVS. Why are you such an idiot? And that is in fact what he did. And, um, the judge got mad and rightfully so. Um, and the, it's like, if, if you were, if you, if you were a conspiracy theorist, um, at that point in time, you might, by the conspiracy, a conspiracy theory that maybe Binger never wanted to bring the trial, but felt that he had to because of public pressure. And now he's trying to tank it to be able to, to, to not convict the kid. Um, uh, is that too much of a conspiracy theory? I don't know. But if there was an argument to be made about purposely tanking a, uh, a, a, a prosecution, doing that, and doing that and bringing up uh, a, a video that was the judge basically said, I don't see that this is relevant. Um, the type of evidence that is there is, is not the type of evidence that can be, can be entered. And here's why. And to bring it up anyway, without asking, has it, has the situation changed enough that I can bring this in? That was stupid. If you're trying to win the case, it's not stupid if you're trying to lose the case, but I don't know. I think that might be a little bit too much of a conspiracy theory for my taste. Uh, when it comes to you know whether or not uh, Binger is trying to nuke his own case or not, do you have any thoughts on on any of that? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't think Kyle's going to walk on this. Despite everything I said, I think he will be convicted. 
I used to be very optimistic, but once Chauvin got convicted and uh, the shady stuff that was going on with that, I do believe he should have been convicted, but he definitely didn't get a fair trial. I think there are people on the jury who have already made up their minds, and they're going to fight tooth and nail to convict this kid. So, But as far as uh, Binger, I would believe that conspiracy theory if he wouldn't have fought tooth and nail over everything, over him going to the bar and drinking, over him like trying to get his bail revoked and shit. Like, you wouldn't do that if you were just trying to get this case done and over with and, you know, Squander it, but he's trying really hard. And you look at their faces when a uh, gauge is asked. Uh, so he only shot you once you pointed your gun at him, right? He said, "Yeah." Look at Binger and Kraus. They are destroyed. They are so upset. So I don't believe that this is a thing of them trying to flounder the case. I believe they're just genuinely incompetent. I did say it was too much of a conspiracy theory for my, for me, potentially. Um, but if you were going to try and purposely tank it, you want to give plausible deniability that you did it. Anyway, your next point? <laughs> what was your next, I think you had a next point or no? I, did I hear that wrong? Uh, I just wanted to ask you a few questions before I get off here. Okay. And I have another question for you, but before you go as well, if you have time, but ask me, ask me your questions first, and I'll ask you the one because you brought something up that I want to, I want to delve deeper into. I asked about uh, you saying that Kyle had his finger on the trigger, was walking okay. around with his finger on the trigger. Where exactly did you get that? Because I said you saw footage of it. I don't I mean think... to pull this card, but. No, I no, I, I, I expect, I honestly, I expected it was coming and I, and I just didn't have time to go dig up the video um, to go because I had, you know, I had other work that I had to do today and I, and I should have made time to do it because I anticipated it. Um, all I can do is say is that I remember seeing it on one of the videos um, that was done probably by the guy that was following um, Rittenhouse and the other individual, I think. Um, I would have to go back over the, the videos again and try and find uh, the clip that I recall um, him having his finger on the trigger as he was walking around and not simply to the side, excuse me, of the trigger. Um, so, again, and you, you said that I'm lying because of that, um, but I, it's, it's not a lie. It's what I believe to be true. Now, am I, it, it, could I possibly be incorrect in what I recall, what I remember seeing? Sure. I, I could be incorrect. And, and if I am incorrect, I, I'll be the first one to say I, what I saw, what I thought I saw was incorrect, and I apologize. But, and, I, and I will retract the statement. But as of right now, what I recall is that there was at least some footage with him walking around with his finger on the trigger, which, and when I saw it, I, the, my first thought, what I thought was that's bad trigger, that's big, bad trigger discipline. So it stood out enough to me for me to be able to say he's not holding his gun properly. Um, again, if I'm wrong, if I can't find it again, fine. But that is what I recall seeing. And, and I wish I could remember the exact video and the exact, exact timestamp. I'd put it up there right now, but I, I don't have it at this point in time. All right. Well, uh, the second question, and then I'll let you ask mine. Uh, you, 
I've talked, we've talked a lot about you, uh, the whisk girl. Uh, you get confused with the provocation law. You're saying Kowski just put his hands up. That would have been done. After shooting someone, being shot at by at least two people, and a fast approaching mob coming, why would you think it would be reasonable to take your hands off the weapon that someone nearly stole from you? Um, this this all is based off of a big if, off of the if. If it is deemed that he is the person who provoked, which I don't know if they'll be able to deem that, but the argument is if it is deemed, and, and, and that's what I said, I, I don't, you know, I've usually had, typically when I've brought up the whole, you know, issue of the duty uh, to, to communicate uh, that you are withdrawing uh, from the fight. Um, it usually comes with a big if, where it's like, if he's a provocateur, then he has to do this. If he's not the provocateur, then he doesn't have to do that. But, um, you know, I, I think whether or not him being the, considered the, the, the provocateur uh, by uh, the, the folks, uh, you know, quote, on the other side, um, you know, I think if, if he's if they rightfully believe in if 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 it is shown that he illegally killed Rosenbaum, then the rest of the crowd who might have been chasing after him may very well have been um, justified in chasing after him and trying to make sure they didn't shoot anybody else. And clearly, they if they did believe that he was a threat and he could have shot other people and they failed to do that, it's fine. Um, but if in order for him to then claim self-defense. For the later two shootings, if it is found that he was the provocateur in the first one, um, then he, again, by law, is required to effectively communicate that he's withdrawing from the argument, that he's withdrawing from the fight. Or the statute, the that I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you've been talking a lot. Okay. The statute specifically I, I says adequate notice. You, right. you seem to create this invention that he has to put his hands up, he has to vocally like vocalize it. I am no longer a threat. That's not what it says. It just says adequate I, I, withdrawal. Okay, I, I know that. I know that's what, it, what what I do when I give the examples of like raising my hands up in the air and be like, "Hey, I give up." That's an example of that I would say of, of one might one might do to give the adequate notice. Now, ultimately, if if it's determined that he's a provocateur and that he and that he would ha- then be required to give adequate notice. Um, before being able to claim his right of self-defense as one would normally have, um, then he would have to do something that would be adequate notice. I'm not saying that the only thing that he could have done was raise his hands or verbally say, I give up. Um, But I'm saying that that may have been an example of something that he might have been able to do uh, in order to adequately... um, notify the people around him that he had no interest in continuing any sort of uh, violent confrontations that, that he was done fighting if they were done fighting. Um, and at which point had he effectively communicated that in the eyes of the jury, who would be ultimately the one deciding whether or not adequate notice was given, uh, then he would be able to free to use um, deadly force in a simple case of deadly forces, a reasonable person would then be justified in any situation where a reasonable person would be justified in using deadly force. If he doesn't 
give adequate notice at that point under my understanding of the law is that he has to exhaust every other method um, of solving the situation before he is able to then use deadly force. So um, it's a lot of away, Saying I'm going to the police, saying I didn't shoot anyone, not pointing your gun at anyone, running to the police, those all seem like pretty good notices. You understand what I'm saying? I understand you saying. I understand that. I understand that you're saying that. Um, we've also seen situations where, over the course of the day, um, that Rittenhouse lied about who he was and what he was and what was going on. Um, does somebody saying "I'm going to the police" mean that they actually are going to? The police? You had a police officer take the stand. Early, early on the other day, I believe, I think it was the police officer that made the announcement uh, once he reached the police line. So basically just, you know, get away, go, go, get out of here. Um, I believe he said that even to him, that Rittenhouse raising his hands wasn't necessarily enough to show that he wasn't a threat because sometimes the people who are the threat will pretend to not be the threat just to get an advantage. Um, whether or not a jury would come to that conclusion, whether or not the jury would say, well, if only Kyle Rittenhouse, if Rittenhouse did, if is, it's possible that the jury might very well say him running down the street towards the line of police cars is enough for us. And that's fine. If they, if the jury would find that, if they're in the position where they have to determine that, then fine. You know, that's what the jury just decides. I don't necessarily think that running just because, just because you're moving in a direction that doesn't necessarily mean that's ultimately it means that what other people might interpret it to mean. Um, what do I mean by that? Uh, in the trial, in and of itself, we've heard from the defense, uh, defense made the argument that because uh, Gage Grosskreutz or whatever his name is, last name is, because he was moving in the same direction as Rittenhouse, that he was somehow chasing Rittenhouse. But well, he had now, a gun in his hand. At some point, he did have a gun in his hand. Yes, um, Rittenhouse Pretty did it early, actually. Right, but I don't know if he had a gun in his hand when they first spoke. When they only, the only time that they spoke, I don't think the gun was in his hand at that time. If I'm recalling the situation correctly, um, and if if it was Gage Rosecrans, uh, um intention to harm Rittenhouse, what better time to do it than when he was a foot behind him and behind him. He could have very easily harmed him at that point and didn't. Um, but my point is, is that Gage Grosskreutz believed that didn't, didn't interpret what he was doing as, quote, giving chase. Um, he was just saying that he was moving in the same direction as uh, Rittenhouse. Um, now, the defense believed differently. The defense were trying to establish that he was chasing. And the reason they are doing that is because they want to establish, help it establish that it was self-defense and it, because this person was chasing him. On the other side of the coin, um, prosecution has tried to suggest that perhaps it was Rittenhouse that was initially heading towards uh, Rosenbaum because he was heading in that direction. Um, and because he was heading in that direction and at some point, running that maybe Rosenbaum might have interpreted that 
movement as Rittenhouse chasing him or going after him. Um, now, of course, the defense disagrees with that as well. So we have, you know, multiple situations where, you know, people on one side of the trial interpret a motion as one thing and uh, on the other people on the other side of the trial determine the motion as something else. So is it possible that one could, could, could reasonably determined his running in that direction as being giving adequate notice if adequate notice is needed? Sure. Is it possible that they might not? Sure. I, I think it's possible that you could, you know, the reasonableness of that, you know, again, could be argued as well. Um, my point is that, you know, I've never said that this is the only way that Rittenhouse would be able to give adequate notice. I've just tried to give it as an example of one way that he could and, the reason I use my hands up in the air specifically is because when Rittenhouse reaches the line of police cars, he does raise his hands and lets go of his gun to let the people that, to let the people who are police officers know, Hey, I'm not a threat to you. That's why I bring up the raising of the hands because that's how he let the police know that he wasn't a threat. That was his way to, that he did it. So if he knew how to do it that way, he could have possibly known to do it another way. Your argument but do of you know why, why would... he specifically did it that time instead of earlier on? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, you, you're going towards the cops. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know why. I, I'm not in Rittenhouse's head. You know, I can't. My, my you know... point is that when you're being, when you've already had someone attempt to take your gun, you've been shot at, you're being chased, people are coming towards you, you're not going to put your hands up. You're going to hold on to that rifle for dear life, and you're going to run. Once Kyle got to the police line, everyone backed off, even the police, pussies, but he put his hands up because he was in a safe position to do so because there was nobody around him to take his rifle. It was safe. On the other hand, though, if you look at what what Grosskrantz did or whatever, um, he... He did put his hands up in the air, and he still was holding onto his gun. It's possible maybe Rittenhouse could have had his hand on his gun while holding his hands up in the air, being so he didn't let go of his gun, but he still could be holding it in a way that wasn't necessarily deemed as threatening. That could have easily shifted. But that would to still a, make him a threat, though. With Gage, people give me shit for this, but if I were in Kyle's shoes, I would have shot Gage while he had his hands up. All it takes is a little 90-degree turn of the wrist, and you can easily shoot someone with a handgun while you have your hands up. So if Kyle had his hands up while he had the gun in his hand, you can still, they would still make the argument, well, that wasn't good enough. That's what people would be saying. Not you, or I don't think you would. I don't know about you, but people (laughs) would make that argument. Uh, And the the other thing that that Binger did bring up is the fact that... um, you know, Rittenhouse, however he was holding his gun at whatever time, I mean, it's possible that, that Gage may have, might have been justified in, in shooting earlier as well. And it's possible that, that if Gage would have just, instead of trying to approach, if he would have just fired when he had the opportunity to, um, it's possible that he could have been the one on trial and he could have been the one, you know, potentially not being convicted on self-defense, making the argument that here's this person who'd already shot one person. I just watched him shoot somebody else. 
and shoot at a third person. I didn't want him shooting at anybody else, so I'm shooting him. Um, but now one of the arguments that, that Gage did make, um, which I potentially, you know, that his positioning of his arms and his left arm was towards, and yet he had the gun, you know, a lot of the people who believe that Kyle Rittenhouse is factually innocent are saying that, yes, he, he admitted to having his gun in this particular direction, you know, that so that the barrel of his pistol was still pointing at Rittenhouse's head, um, but it wasn't in a way that one would typically hold their gun if they were going to be shooting somebody. And that's the point I think that Gage made. Um, now, Can I touch on that real quick? Sure. Uh, actually, that is a way that you would do that. There is a, a specific style of shooting called a car, center axis relock. If you've ever seen John Wick, the way how he has his gun close into his body, shooting from retention, that's so when Gage has his gun by his hip, close to his body, that's pretty much a style of car. You can vary, that's a style that I used to teach, it's a style that many, very popular nowadays. You don't well, I'm not talking about by his hip, position. though. I'm talking about when it was by his head. Oh, yeah. Well, even then, he could still just flick his wrist down. There have been people who have been shot like that. Look I mean, there at, are look people at the way who, Kyle people... was firing his rifle. He was firing it like a paintball gun. The stock was underneath his arm. It wasn't in his shoulder. He was shooting from a very, very weird position, very uh, unorthodox position. So right. I don't think anyone has the right to say, oh, he didn't get proper two-hand grip on the gun, therefore he wasn't going to shoot. You don't know that. The gun's that pointing in your direction, that is, that's a threat. That is something that I was also, like, I, when I, when, when um, Binger brought up the whole, well, he didn't have two hands on it. I'm like, how many people, you know, are going to use the two-handed grip in that situation? Like, like, I think, again, that was one of his, you know, maybe jump in the shark moments where he didn't, you know, maybe maybe Gage could make an argument as to why he didn't wouldn't believe that why if he was going to take the shot that he wouldn't do it from that position. But I think it's ridiculous for Binger to have said, well, because he wasn't holding it like this, uh, that's not necessarily the only way that you can shoot a gun. But before you go, I know you said you wanted to head off. But before you go, the, the one last thing I did want to bring up, because you did mention it. Um, about uh, what happened uh, with with Derek Chauvin. And you said that the reason you think that uh, Rittenhouse is, is going to be convicted is because Derek Chauvin was convicted. Um, do you believe that Derek Chauvin should not have been convicted of the in the death of George Floyd? Uh, well, I said earlier, I do believe he should have been convicted. I don't, he got 23 years, right? I believe so. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's. I think that's a bit extreme. Like, I first degree murder. I've seen first degree murderers not get 23 years. I think he may have got, maybe should have gotten 16 at the most. But the thing with that trial is, yeah, he should have been convicted, but he deserves a fair trial, and he didn't get it. We had people on the jury saying, "My mind before I got on jury," like the one guy who's constantly pimping his podcast. He even said on his podcast, lied to get on the jury, convict these cops. He lied on his questionnaire. He made up his mind beforehand. That's what's going to happen in this trial as well. I guarantee you it. It's already happened. 
But if well, I mean one person and two person and three persons can do that, I mean I, I would not recommend doing that. I don't I don't agree with that at all. I think that you should always be open to, like, I would like to think that if, if that I could serve in a jury on something that I've heard about and formed an opinion about, simply because I would like to think that when presented with evidence contrary to what my existing belief is, that that successfully, you know, convinces me otherwise that I'm that I will freely be convinced. Um, you know, that being said, I don't know. Um, I don't know if, if anybody would ever, you know, allow liberal Dan to be on a, to be on a, a, a jury uh, because yeah, I'm very opinionated. Um, but no, I, I didn't hear that you said that he should have been convicted. Um, you know, so I apologize for, for that, for not getting that, um, hearing that properly. But I mean, even if one or two or three are, behaving poorly um you know that that you should a person who was on trial should have the right to have all 12 people acting properly um but a conviction wouldn't have been reached unless all 12 vote yes so even if one or two three are acting poorly um those other nine you know were they acting poorly as well or did they reach their verdict based on you know the facts of the trial and what happened um, and, and maybe, maybe we allow, you know, we require 12 just because, you know, even if one or two or three are behaving badly, um, then, you know, you still have the other, you still have to have the other nine, 10, 11, um, voting to convict. Now the sentencing part is all on the judge. So the judge felt that the sentencing, I, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast. I, 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 I don't know. Like I, I that's not even relevant. Let's not even talk about that. But, but, you know, I always think that the sentencing could be adjusted downward and appeal. And I don't, I don't know if the appeals process is where we are, where people, where they are in the appeals process on the, on the trial um, or on, on, if they're appealing the length of duration of the trial, it's very well possible that even if um, he got 23, that appeal could bring it down to something that others might find more reasonable. Um, and it's possible that if they only gave him 16 or 10, that they still could have appealed and then brought it down even less. So maybe that's the idea of the judge is like, you know, I think the judge made the argument that because of the position that he was in, um, that, that, that was, that made the crime more, uh, problematic than it would have been had it just been a regular citizen. Um, but again, if, if that's why we have appeals courts, if the judge, reached the decision on the sentencing to, to be incorrect, improperly and correctly or applied bad sentencing guidelines to uh, this individual um, and his first conviction, then the appeals process should be able, or I would hope they would, they would catch it and fix it to make the um, punishment fit the crime. Of course, that requires more uh, legal time and more time being spent. But, you know, as, as somebody used to say, it is what it is. Thank you, Donald. Um, anyway, so do you have any other final points that you'd like to make? I know you did say you wanted to get going, but any other final points that you want to make before I let you go? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm going to get off the line and let you guys go on with your show. All right, well, I got, Thanks look, for having me on, though. Thank you. I, I, I look, Thank you for coming on. And, and, you know, as compared to our, to our butting of heads on – you know, the previous discussions on, on um, 
um, Johnny Walker Dredge channel and on Neil's chats. You know, this was uh, to the point where I'm 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 glad that I made a decision to to have, say yes, please come on and 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 come on the show. I, I'm glad to have had you on so we could have this conversation in a reasonable and logical and um, non-emotional way. And I, I think I think it just goes to show perhaps that even when two people start off butting heads, that cooler heads can sometimes prevail and we can have a reasonable conversation. And even if we don't agree on things at the end of the day, we can at least have the discussion and not be disagreeable. So thank you. Oh, can I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've, I've told, I piss a lot of people off with my comments. I don't talk like that in real life. It, it's just the medium that I have to be hyperbolic. Like even, like I've pissed off Paul, like a logical checkmate. I think Neil, uh, like the V radio, he hates me because I'm constantly being a dick to him. I don't mean to do it. I'm just, the way I voice my disagreements on the comments, very different how I would do it in person. I love Neil. I love Paul. I love Johnny Walker Dread. Just the way I voice my uh, grievances in the comment section is very different. I have to, can't read tone. So I come off a lot worse than I am in person. I just want to make that clear. Okay. Yeah. And look, and I, I apologize. I think I made some crass comments about feeling sorry for your students. I'll apologize for that as well. Uh, so, you know, again, sometimes I can also get over the top. Um, I've had to watch it, some of it recently, especially on Facebook, because Facebook has become absolutely ridiculous when it comes to what they uh, will punish you for. Uh, but, um, you know, so I've tried to be a little bit better by myself, but but I, I, too, can also be guilty of the same thing as you are. So, But we were able to come together and have a phone conversation and have it be reasonable, and I, and I hope this goes to show that, you know, you know, while, you know, I, I do like having, you know, the conservatives call in and talk and, and, you know, or, and even if you're not conservative or even people who aren't conservative, or if you disagree me, with me on one or more issues that I think, you know, I've proved, especially over the past couple of weeks that I am somebody who, who will, you know, not be partisan for the sake of partisanship. I just have beliefs that I believe in and I'm willing to have a good conversation about those issues. So again, you're welcome to come back on the program any other time you'd like to discuss any other issue. Um, it's very well possible that we could have a ruling by next week, if not the week after. Um, and so we'll, we'll, if that, that happens, we'll, we'll definitely be having another conversation to talk about what happened. Um, see if I'm right about the closing statements about uh, Binger. Uh, see if I'm right if Binger bungled it or not. Um, but again, you're welcome to come back on to talk about that or any other issue you want to talk about. So again, thank you very much, and, and you have a good rest of your night. Thanks. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. All right. So what I'm going to do now is for a second, I, I, I do have my other bit that I haven't played yet, um, which is the words of redneck wisdom, which which will cause me to have a little bit of a conversation about the topics of what happened in words of redneck wisdom, but I'm also going to try and quickly scan through the chat uh, between Demonox and V radio and see what did I miss there as, or I, I should have it. I should have this bit now as well to do the, with uh, David Diggs doing, what did I miss? What did I miss? Anyway, but 
uh, if, if you've missed Liberal Dan Radio, if you haven't listened to Liberal Dan Radio long enough, you know that I have other Hamilton parodies going on. So maybe I'll have to come up with a what did I miss parody as well. But anyway, here's this week's words of redneck wisdom. And now, words of redneck wisdom brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. My main uh, issue here this morning is uh, the southern border. And as we very well know, there's been millions of illegals come in from all over the world. And uh, it seems like the only man that's doing anything about it or trying to is Greg Abbott, the, the great governor of Texas. And I have tried to contact him. As you very well know, I talked to you last summer about it. And I'm still willing to go down there and work with the National Guard, but I cannot get a hold of his office. So I thought maybe you might could. And you know, no, uh, I'll, I'll try. Uh, you you want to go down there and help, right, Colonel? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like for him to give me a commission in the Guard and let me let me run a uh-huh. unit or a battalion or a company or whatever, you know, and uh, right. you know to help, help come back this, uh, you know, this border, these illegal border crossing because. This is our country. I, I, I don't like our sovereignty being broken like this. And uh, another thing, too, that I don't like is that if this was Trump and he opened it up, they'd have him on trial for murder because that's what Joe Biden is committing because he's letting these illegals in. They got COVID. They're not checking them they, or anything like that. Hey, that's, that's the same thing as murder. He's letting them in and right. he's giving it to Americans, mm-hmm. and Americans are dying from it. That's, that's murder. Yes, sir. And this concludes Words of Redneck Wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Anyway, so that was Words of Redneck Wisdom. One thing that, two things that I found odd about that one. One, the hypocrisy. Um, one, the hypocrisy of the whole... You know, this, this show that I got this from, which is uh, my friend Jeff's show, um, he, he, you know, they're always like COVID, you know, don't take COVID seriously, don't take COVID seriously, unless we're talking about the people who are coming across the Texas border. Then, oh, my God, we have to take COVID seriously. They're going to kill people. Um, it's murder. But, you know, I think part of this is like he's, he just wants to go down. And he wants to go and lead a battalion of people of the National Guard. I don't know if the National Guard has battalions. But he wants to go lead a battalion of National Guardsmen by the border. Um, like, for what purpose? I mean, are, are you, are you going to – to me, I hear, I want to go shoot me some Mexicans. That's what I hear. Um, but uh, since V-Radio is still here, I did want to uh, read something that was pertinent or related to something we talked about earlier. Um, start reading from the letter and I think we'll all know the context at some point. I can't do the voice impression of this, nor would I try to. <clears throat> now, I wanted to say something about the fact that we have lived over the last two or three summers with agony and we have seen our cities going up in flames. And I would be the first to say that I am still committed to militant, powerful, massive nonviolence as the most potent weapon in grappling with the problem from a direct action point of view. I am absolutely 
convinced that a riot merely intensifies the fears of the white community while relieving the guilt. And I feel that we must always work with an effective, powerful weapon and method that brings about tangible results. But it is not enough for me to stand before you tonight and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible of me to do that without, at the same time, condemning the contingent, contingent, intolerable conditions that exist in our society. These conditions are the things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get attention. And I must say tonight that a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last 12 or 15 years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice and humanity. Now, every year about this time, our newspapers and televisions and people generally start talking about the long, hot summer ahead. What always bothers me is that the long, hot summer has always been preceded by a long, cold winter. And the great problem is that the nation has not used its winters creatively enough to develop the program to develop the kind of massive acts of concern that will bring about a solution to the problem. So we must still face the fact that our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. As long as justice is postponed, we always stand on the verge of these darker nights of social disruption. Question now is whether America is prepared to do something massively, affirmatively, and forthrightingly about the great problem we face in the area of race and the problem which can bring the current doom down on American civilization if it is not solved. And I would like to talk to the next to me as well. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Yes. He maintained that rioting didn't work. And, and that's clear there. But he also maintains, again, he's like, look, it, it doesn't necessarily work because, all, because, but the reason why it doesn't work in his mind in this letter is it doesn't work because all it does is it makes white people more scared of black people while justifying their fear in black people. So they're like, well, we're going to continue to continue. That's what, that's what his problem with rioting is. It's not in and of itself the problem with the rest. It's the fact that, you know, he feels that, that peaceful nonviolence is the best weapon to deal with uh, the issues that are going on. Um, and, but the problem with the, riot, with the riots is that it continues to encourage uh, white folks to not want to find a solution. They're like, well, we, we're, we don't want to find a solution because these people are just rioting. So it, it's, they're justifying their fears of black people. So um, to quote somebody else, or to paraphrase, I would say somebody else um, from Boondocks, um, <laughs> um, so somebody would say a question about rioting. You know, we'll question somebody rioting. Well, well uh, Slickback would say, has not rioting got you the desired results? And you say, no, clearly not. So he would say, he would justify that, well, then maybe you should try rioting. And look, again, I'm not going to sit here and justify rioting in, in and of itself. It's not my place to say, look, people are fine to go riot. What I will say, though, is that when people do riot, it's because you haven't 
dealt with their needs. I don't want to call, I don't, I don't want anybody to say that I'm referring to the people who are riding as children or babies. So let me just be upfront with that because I know people like to stir things up and, and make meetings that don't, of analogies that don't exist. But in a situation where you have a baby and they're hungry and you haven't fed them recently, and what they will do is they'll cry and scream. Why? Because they're, you're, you're not feeding them when they're not crying and screaming, so, you're gonna, so they're going to cry and scream. So, again... I'm not trying to say it's exactly the same, but if you have people that are so desperate, and, and we're not just talking about, we're not talking about, I don't want to say just talking about, there are systemic racial issues that are, that are pervasive in this country, and I think that it, you, V-Radio, as somebody who is a Bernie Sanders supporter, somebody who has been with the Occupy movement, and somebody who you know, while having problems with people on the left are yourself on the left, which, I mean, what leftist doesn't have problems with other people on the left? I mean, come on, that's almost a definition of a leftist. (laughs) Um, That being said, you know, I kind of missed the train of thought there, but my point is, is that if, if you're sitting there, you should know as somebody on the left that there are these systemic issues. And one of the systemic issues is the disproportionate manner that black people are killed in this country by law enforcement. And if law enforcement is disproportionately killing black people as compared to white people, which they are, and the police and, and the police are unwilling to do anything through peaceful protests about things. You know, people tried peaceful protests like, you know, blocking streets and making people uncomfortable whilst not doing anything, you know, violent, but, but, you know, blocking a street. Um, And by blocking the street, they hope to send a message. Oh, you're uncomfortable with this. Well, we're uncomfortable with the fact that every time we have an altercation with police or, or, or not even altercation, every time we have an interaction with a police officer, it could very well be our last ones. Um, and the peaceful protests don't work. In fact, when they do the peaceful protests, like blocking a street and making people just simply uncomfortable, uh, the conservatives will argue, well, we should just run them over. And they pass laws that would pretty much allow people to run people over in the middle of a protest that's blocking a street. So, so if, if, if the peaceful versions of the protest, if, if, if marching down the street is not working. If writing your congressmen and writing your senators and writing your state legislators and writing people who are part of the city council doesn't work. If having a parade down the street doesn't work. If having, you know, if, if having a, a sit-in in front of city hall doesn't work. If blocking streets don't work. If every single nonviolent thing doesn't work and you're still seeing black people be killed by police at a disproportionate rate, at some point, you're going to be like, well, maybe I need to try something more drastic to stop the killing. And when it comes at the end of the day, what they're protesting is the disproportionate killing of black people by police. I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, it's fine that you rioted, that you burned down a property, piece of property or whatever. 
but I'm not going to sit here and complain that the piece of property is somehow like I'm, I'm more concerned about the fact that of the people that are getting, being killed by the cops. Human lives are more important than businesses. Businesses can be rebuilt. We have insurance for businesses. As was brought up in the chat today, yes, there are problems with insurance. Insurance companies are notoriously crooked. And we need to better regulate insurance companies to make sure they can't just, you know, raise rates because you use their product. I mean, it's, it's silly. You're going to raise my rates on a product that you're selling to ha- for me to control my risk. Of course, there are other horrible things that insurance companies do, and that's why we need, you know, Medicare for all, and that's why we needed to get rid of, that's why we needed the provisions in Obamacare before we got to Medicare for all, et cetera. Um, and I'm not saying let's burn everything because insurance is the strategy, but that's not their strategy, V-Radio. It's not the strategy that they're impl- implementing. They're not, <coughs> they're trying to make the point, they're trying to hit people in their dollars. They're trying to make a statement that, for some reason, won't be listened to any other way. Let's see. You're trying to talk about a problem that kills less people than swimming pools. I mean, swimming pools aren't a systemic issue, and swimming pools don't kill people disproportionately. And uh, I think it's reasonable to suggest that police departments – uh, shouldn't kill people at a disproportionate rate uh, than they do uh, of one race than they do another. But the killing is just one of the many issues. The killing just tends to be the one they can focus on a lot because it's death. But there are many systemic issues that are pertaining to policing. Like, you know, when they did stop and frisk in New York, that 95% of the people that were stopped and frisked were either black or Latinx. Um, so you have other policing issues where, where, the, where policing in all forms tends to be racially biased. So it's not just the killing. So, so it's, it's not just affecting the people that die. And even when the people die, that doesn't just affect the people that die. It affects their families. <coughs> it affects their neighborhoods. It affects the ability of, of black people to trust the police. If they can't trust the police, then who are they going to call? Can't call Ghostbusters. That's a fictional company. So, you know, if, if you can't trust the police, then you're going to end up with people who, you know, then you're not having the police doing what they're supposed to do, which is to, to catch people to commit crimes. And then we get into the whole discussion as to, you know, what defunding means and whether or not we should be taking, you know, funds away from police to handle certain things and instead let other people handle it. And that's a whole other show. That's a whole number thing. Let's see. Uh, if I am free, I would be happy to come on the show. I just don't know what my schedule is for this weekend at this point. Um, between my job, between my two kids, between a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, but look, my email is Liberal Dan Radio, which I'm Liberal Dan Radio pretty much everywhere except for Facebook, where it's just Liberal Dan. There is also a Facebook.com slash Liberal Dan Radio, but I haven't really leveraged that yet. I just reserved it. Um, but I'm basically Liberal Dan Radio everywhere. And, and so you can email me, LiberalDanRadio at gmail.com. And we could we, let me know when you usually have the show, and I'll let you know whether or not I'm free to be able to come on or not. Um, so I'd be happy to do that. Um, Demonox is calling him out for being left. Um, there's a lot. Of, I mean, Demonox, I believe, is is 
would probably describe himself as more more left than me. Um, I think I'm more progressive than a lot of people give me credit for because I'm I'm typically more pragmatic about my progressivism, and a lot of people who are progressive are not necessarily pragmatic about it. Um, but on issue wise, uh, on is- issue wise, I tend to be more leftist than I am right wing. Clearly, um, you know, I, I I do support like I'll support the Second Amendment, but I also support regulation on gun ownership as Scalia said you can't have. So um, I also believe that there should be regulation on gun sales, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean on gun ownership, but that means on gun sales too. Um, <laughs> v Radio, sorry to inform you, Demonox, you don't get to uh, determine if I am or not a leftist. And Brandon, nah, I'm judging you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mad that I've missed a bunch of this because I was having a really good conversation. We, I was shocked. I was shocked about how good the conversation was uh, between between me and 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 Ripley. Um, that that was a good. It, it was shockingly good, based especially based on the the our previous interactions. So so it's again more proof that we can have reasonable conversations with people who we disagree with. Um, and maybe the chat might be an example of people who can't get along well, but, uh, you know, that's fine. Where can you find my email? It's liberaldanradio at gmail.com. The whole, it's my same username, username here on YouTube, liberaldanradio, just put at gmail.com and there you go. Um, I could, I have a problem typing it in the chat. I'll just type the liberal Dan radio part. Roll Dan, roll Dan radio. At it, no, it highlighted it. Liberal Dan Radio, but at gmail.com. That's it. Very easy. I'm very easy to to get in contact with. I should say. Shouldn't necessarily say that I'm very easy. Although I'm, I don't slut shame. I'm very sex positive here in Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from left. That's right. Um, let's see. What do I have anything else to discuss? with the show. I, I think there's just so much to scroll back on that. I don't know if I could just adequately handle uh, everything, at least in the 25 minutes. But if anybody has anything in the ch- that they would like to pose in the chat for me to answer before I go ahead and uh, call it an end, I'd be more than happy to do so. Um, we're almost at a three hour show today. A three-hour show, a three-hour show. But I do, again, if, if you've listened this far, listened this long, and you've paid attention, and I do appreciate you listening, I, I do want to um, you know, encourage two things, A, or three things. First of all, make sure to do everything you should be doing on YouTube. Like the video, share the, like this video, share my videos that you like, or even if you dislike, say, look at this. If you, if you disagree with some of the things I say, share my video and say, look at what this quack believes and get them traffic to my site. Because, you know, then maybe you still might be able to say, okay, well, maybe we disagree with this guy, but this guy is reasonable and somebody who we can have an in- intellectual conversation with. Um, but also remember to subscribe to the channel as well. I'm trying to get, um, I'm trying to get, uh, you know, more subscriptions. I would love 
I know I know V Radio has had some problems. He mentioned it with monetization. And YouTube's monetization policies have been a little bit wackadoodle ever since they made the change and threw the baby out with the bathwater because there was a time point I actually made a hundred bucks on YouTube. On one one video made made me a hundred bucks. And then they changed the rules and I can't make money again until I can get the full thousand people and a whole bunch of other views. But it, wait, I'm sorry. Ah. Oh, wait, but I did want to play the song. Um, now, look, I, I, I do promise I do need to go. And th- thank you, V Radio, for, for joining us in the chat room. Have a good day. I, I do need to go watch your video about, um, you know, critical race theory. But I did also want to, you know, speaking of critical race theory, I wanted to give this a shout out again. Pink.Williams on TikTok. This is his song. If you don't want your kids to learn about the evil stuff that our founding fathers did And you say you've had enough of the left indoctrinating kids when they go off to school You're nothing but another propaganda spreading fool Our nation's evil history is not up for debate And you can't ignore the facts just because you're full of hate So let me tell you something you can do to simmer down Read a goddamn history book, you racist right-wing clown Huzzah, so... I love that, and I'll probably play that a bunch since then. Um, it just happens to uh, to give me good feelings down in the cockles. You know, it's called science. That, that's what happens. It's called science, you know, science. What, what Donald Trump embraces, you know, fully, like, you know, with the injecting of disinfectants into your body and all that other fun stuff. Um, I found one, something I found interesting is that is – that, um, Trump was all about the remdesivir, was it? And he, and he bragged about the ventilators and being able to get all these ventilators. And now conservatives hate remdesivir and the ventilators. Like, they, they, they put my friend on remdesivir and he died. Or, or they put uh, – my. And, and I know you're ready. I think your video specifically deals with one individual person, so it's possible maybe – and I'll watch it, and, and I could be wrong on it, but the video on critical race theory, I very well – it might just – I might come out saying this person is an a-hole, but it doesn't stop me from believing that, that our nation's history should be taught completely. Um, anyway, uh, but back to the thing. It's like I'm so confused as to conservatives who, who like, want to make the argument that going on a ventilator is bad, like – the ventilator causes your death is what they'll say. Like, you'll never put me on a ventilator. I'd rather not go to the hospital because I don't want to be put on a ventilator. Well, then you're probably going to die then too because it's not the fact that you're on the ventilator that's the problem. It's the fact that you needed a ventilator that's the problem, that, you're, that your situation got so drastic that you needed a ventilator to try and help save your life. That, oh, but this is the way that conservatives think is that they say, oh, well, if you have uh, – if you're on a ventilator, you're more likely to die. So it's the ventilator that's killing you. Uh, what, what was it? Um, one of the arguments that some conservative person said the other day, speaking of conservatives, where's bringing a boy? He hasn't here at all today. What happened? It's crazy. Um, anyway, um, if, if the, the, the count, why is it? that the blue counties are the counties that are more likely to, to be counting their ballots later. And that, that's, that just shows that it's fraudulent. They, they can't run their systems. Well, 
maybe the blue counties take a while longer to run because there's more votes to count in the blue counties. Like a red county with 3,000 people is going to be much shorter to count votes in than a blue county with a million. Come on. Do better. You know, it's called science. I know, Donald. That, 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 that's at least what they believe science is. Um, let's see. So I, I'm not going to get into CRT this week as much as I should, although I like the song. Um, but what should I do the other? Should I, should I do my other song? Where is it? Weird dog down here in Liberal Band's top proceeding. We got some steals on Harley Davidson's today. Turns out Holden Sturgis wasn't that bright of an idea. But while festival goers pass away, we're passing on the savings to you. All our Harleys come freshly sanitized for your riding comfort. And while supplies last, we're throwing in some antibacterial gel and a 12-pack of two-ply, just in case the stores run out again. So come on down to Liberal Band Stopper City and get you a hog today. Liberal Band Stopper City is a fictional establishment, and we don't know what the death toll of Sturgis will be. I guess it's kind of old because at this point we maybe we do know what Sturgis did, but I just had such a good time making that that I just I want to beat it for everything that he has. I don't know. Since this is the Rittenhouse episode, what are, I have a I have a something here that's marked zero 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 that it's marked Rittenhouse. So what what is this again? It looks like one of them has a weapon. Oh, that's the CBS audio. Yeah, so that's that's the inadmissible audio that that or the video that. Uh, um, written that the binger was prohibited from bringing up, but yet he brought up anyway because he's a stupid idiot, as Chris Jericho from wrestling might say. Um, but anyway, shouts out to uh, if you ever watched WCW uh, wrestling back in the NWO days, apparently Judy Bagwell died, Buff Bagwell's mom. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's her, the main, I think it's his real mom, but I don't know. Um, but thoughts and prayers to, to you. Um, I, I still do watch wrestling occasionally, and I have my nerdydan.com stuff that I do as well. <clears throat> and I've been trying to do uh, some, some videos pertaining to that on top of everything. I was going to make – there's a video that I've been wanting to make for a while for my nerdydan.com uh, channel, and unfortunately, I just haven't had the time to do it on any day. So and I was going to think – I was thinking that I might do it tonight – um, but instead, I decided to do a three-hour show, a three-hour show. Um, there's an interesting topic I guess we could maybe discuss for a little bit is the fact that desegregation being bad. Um, and, and is desegregation in and of itself bad? Um, you know, it, it's, I think we all benefit from having diverse populations in our schools. Um, and... Uh, I think one of one of the things that Joe Biden did, you know, early on in his political career, that career that w- that a lot of people disagreed with now, in hindsight, is the fact that he opposed busing, and the reason he opposed busing, stated as as stated back then, was for the wrong reasons. Um, but busing can be in and of itself very problematic if you're spending so much time having people be on buses to bring them to the quote good schools then there's, there's, they have less time to do homework. They have less time to do extracurriculars. They have less time to do many other things. Uh, so therefore, that, that, that can be one of the problems that, tech, that takes place when you have desegregation and it's done improperly. Um, when you could uh, do things like you know, change uh, the systemic racism that comes with 
um, the funding of schools based off of property taxes and instead funds fully fund all schools regardless of what the neighborhood is like. And therefore, you don't have to worry about whether or not, you know, the school is a good school or a bad school because all of the schools could then be adequate schools at the very least, even if you might have some that achieve more than others. Um, and as, as such, and me and Demidas, I'm same wavelength, because as I was saying that, he says ultimately the way redlining works and the way schools get funded, it hurt. And again, so we, this is why me and Demidas get along so well, is because a lot of times we end up coming to the same conclusions similarly. We are often uh, on Nimbus Yosh's uh, page on Facebook. We are often you know, just beating the other one out on making a funny comment on, on the same on the, uh, either the same or at least similar funny comment on one of his statuses where, and we'll often be like, Oh, you beat me to it. Um, shouts out to my little brother, the host of most Nimbus Yosh with the smooth sounds of the Percy podcast. Um, you know, here's hoping more episodes get rolled out. I think he's been having a little tough go of it, but again, you can support the smooth sounds of the Percy podcast over on anchor um, so give, give him a check out as well. Again, more shouts out to uh, Demonox, the first Little Dan Radio patron. Uh, also to Cesar out in California and your boy Chris here in Louisiana as well. Very much thankful for all of y'all's support. Um, you know, even when some of y'all, I, I would understand any of the people if you're having financial difficulties, if you stopped being a Patreon because of that, that's fine. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that y'all do, uh, support me in the ways that you do in the other ways as well. Um, but yeah, so let's see. Um, ultimately the way redlining works is the way schools get funded hurts and leftists would know that. So let's see. I need to move my setup to another room because I'm like five months without an episode. Come on, man. You need to get an episode out, roll it out the door. Um, use your phone. I, I remember a couple of times I've, I've only more recently on anchor. Have I been, uh, you know, using my computer for it. I've otherwise I've used my phone for my anchor podcast and it, it comes out pretty, pretty decent. It actually, for a while I was doing the anchor podcast on my phone because my phone was better than my mic. The microphone on my phone would record my anchor podcast better than the microphone on my computer. Um, Fortunately, I was able to spend a little extra money and get a nicer microphone um, so I could have the smooth sounds of the Liberal Dan podcast, which may not be as smooth as the smooth sounds of the Percy podcast, but still, I'm told I have a good voice for radio. Uh, hopefully, nobody, not, not too many people tell me that I have a face for radio, but at least nobody tells me that I have a voice for print, but... Um, I don't even have a headphone jack really on my phone. I just, I don't even use the headphone jack. I just hold the phone like this and I'll be like, record, 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 blah, 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 blah. And I just hold it like this. And there you go. That, that's how I do it. So that is how I do it. It was, it was funny. Like there was sometimes, there was a couple of times when I was on, I was driving doing Uber and Lyft and stuff like that. And uh, people would be like, um, you have a really great voice. You should be on the radio. And I'll be like, I am on the radio. I'm Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. And they were like, wow. And I'd be impressed that they would actually, you know, be able to, to say that I should be on the radio. And 
you know, it's awesome that they, that they think that it's just, I would love to be able to, you know, make this into a much bigger thing than what it is. Um, which is why you need to go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Um, and you need to go to uh, stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and support the, I would love to be able to put my first billboard out. Whatever it costs to make the first billboard, I would love to be able to raise enough money to get my first billboard out. Wherever it might go, I want to do it. I want to think it would be awesome if we could do it. We'll see if we can. Um To suggest that Deacon's desecration, maybe this is why I don't have a full full time radio show because sometimes I start going blah blah blah. Um, let's see. Ooh, forty minutes into talking and it stopped after seven minutes. That's not good. Um, although I think you can only do thirty minute segments at a time on Anchor. Um, let's see. But here, V Radio says. To suggest that desegregation did something wrong or bad to people of color is ludicrous. Um, it's not that desegregation in and of itself was the problem. It was the surrounding problems that was the problem. It's like a lot of times like when they talk about like affirmative action, like even back in the day, like people discuss like affirmative action, be like, oh, we don't need affirmative action anymore. It's like the problem with affirmative action was not affirmative action. The problem with affirmative action was the fact that it wasn't tied with other things that would help to get rid of the racial disparities that exist in our country, such that you don't need affirmative action in the future. Um, but yeah, and and to say that you know we have problems like, again, if we have problems with desegregation, it's or, or with how desegregation was implemented. It's not that we take issue with the fact again. Having I, when I was looking for schools for my kid because New Orleans is 100% charter, so we get to try and pick what school we want and hope we get it because never go full charter, it's ridiculous. Um, but one of the things that we looked at was you know, I didn't want I wanted my son to be in a diverse setting, like I, I didn't want him to be the, the only white kid, but I didn't want him to be in just a bunch of white kids either. I wanted him to have diverse. And one of the reasons that I like the school that he's at is the fact that there is a large, diverse cultures and he gets to learn about them because they make it an important, you know, the important thing about learning about other cultures and he gets to learn Spanish. And my oldest one is off to learning Chinese on top of the Spanish that he's already learning. One of his favorite classes is I think the Mandarin class that he's learning. So um, having diversity is a very good thing. But one of the problems with the charter school model that we have here, which is, kind of a desegregated model, it, except for the fact that you end up having parents who, if you're poorer and you're a parent, you can't, uh, you, and you don't have the time or the effort or the knowledge to be able to navigate the system. Your kids get wind, wind up getting stuck at a school that you might not want them at. And then you might have to, again, bus them across the district, you know, for like an hour bus ride just to get to school or an hour more on the bus each way, simply because you couldn't get your neighborhood school. When instead, you should have fixed redlining problems, make sure that communities can get developed equally and make sure that, that the funds are there to make sure that every school has the funding it needs to be able to do what it needs to do to educate their kids properly. Um, and all right, I will respond to your email. If not tonight, I'll do it sometime tomorrow. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to that um, as well. 
Again, I do want to make sure, you know, just to touch on the last, since we're already at two hours and 53 minutes, I just should just go ahead and use the last six and a half minutes and, or at least five and a half minutes and just go back over the Stop the Coup. Um, StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. I've made, I've gotten up to the five seat states. So I've done the seats with one seat, which you can't gerrymander at the congressional level with one seat because that's impossible. Uh, two seats, three seats, four seats, and five seats. Those are the states that I've done so far. Um, if you go watch the Stop the Coup, this video series, or first stop in the coup, it's, there's two different playlists that it's on. It's also gerrymandering by state or whatever it's called. Um, you go to either one of those playlists and just watch from the beginning. And you'll be able to see the work that I put into it. And, and I think you'll see that I'll be uh, later, V-Radio, um, you'll see that I've been fair in how I've addressed the issues. Now, I kind of, at the end, I know what the spoiler alert, I know how it ends. And I think we all kind of know how it ends because I've kind of hinted at the fact that the Republican Party nationwide benefits from gerrymandering in this country more than the Democrats do. But again, it's not to say that individual states don't do it. Like, to give one example, or I guess from the last video with the five, the five states, um, the five seat states. You had Oregon, uh, which is going from five to six, but you had four seats to one seat, four seat Democrats to one seat Democrats, when it should be three to two. Um, so that's 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 one issue, but. but Oregon was was weird in that in that, but you had Connecticut versus Oklahoma, so Connecticut has five seats and all five of them are Democrats. Oklahoma has five seats, all five of them are Republicans. So yes, they do offset each other, because each of them, if you look at how they voted in the presidential elections, uh, each of them should have three seats going to the majority party and two seats going to the minority party. Connecticut should have three Democrats, two Republican. Oklahoma should have three Republican, two Democrats. But here's the thing. They don't. So, what's, so they offset. So at the, at the nationwide level, neither party benefits because both of them offset each other. But at the individual state level, the Republicans in Connecticut and the Democrats in Nebraska, Oklahoma, I mean, don't have any representation in Congress to speak for them. And that's wrong. And it's wrong that it happens in Connecticut, and it's wrong that it happens in Oklahoma. For some reason, want to confusing Oklahoma and Nebraska for whatever reason, probably because they're both red states. Um, but the thing is, is that, again, now, in, if you watch the video, you'll see why potentially why it would be hard to draw those lines, but even so, you, sh- you should be able to squeak one out, if not two. It's just a matter of, but, you know, when you gerrymander and your gerrymandering process um, doesn't give the minority party enough say. Now, Connecticut does give their minority party more say than Oklahoma does. Um, when you don't give your minority party enough say and join those lines, they don't, get a, they don't get a say at all, and so you get to steal all the seats. Um, but that's wrong, and, 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 and I, I will continue to discuss why it's wrong. Um, yes, you're right on that, Demonox. Um, but anyway, the, uh, 
need to find the last. There it is. Before we get to the point where, because we only have a couple minutes left. Um, but again, so I'm going to be continuing this process of looking at each state. You know, the next video, you only have two states that had six seats in 2020, Kentucky and Louisiana. And I live in Louisiana. Um, but then you have Colorado, Alabama, South Carolina for seven. So I might do the sixes and sevens. Uh, maybe that's crazy to just do the sixes and sevens. Um, but maybe I'm just all sixes and sevens. You never know. Um, if you've watched Austin Powers or know, you, you know, it, you get it. Uh, but maybe I'll do the sixes and sevens together or maybe I won't. Who knows? Um, but two in a video seems to be kind of short for as small as Kentucky and Louisiana tend to be. Um, however, um, They'll be coming up maybe at some point over the weekend, maybe sometime, maybe next Tuesday. Maybe I just always make sure to push one out every Tuesday. Um, but I'm trying to get them all out because I want to be able to make sure to have this entire series available so that people can look at all of the videos. And then I can give just a summary video to say, hey, too long, didn't watch. Here, here's the goal. And then I have other things to talk about, like those states that increase or decrease, the effect of the Senate, uh, the effect of you know maybe states that put uh, too many people in one district and therefore making the districts unfairly drawn as well. That's giving people working to give more people into, into having power that, that, than they should. And that's what gerrymandering ultimately does. It affects power. And I think gerrymandering disenfranchises many, many, many more voters than anything that would be solved by a voter ID. And that brings us to the end of this episode, this week's episode of liberal Dan radio talk from the left. That's right. We did a three hour show, a three hour show. Join us next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central, blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan, or here on YouTube, Liberal Dan Radio. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all that good noise. Um, remember to support, again, stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and support the Patreon as well, so I could maybe do this for a living and um, be able to bring more good content and less good English to the Internet. Anyway... Until next week, this is Dan Lewis with Liberal Radio. Off to the left, that's right.